Patriots Collective World. Ian here, coming at you from the Finger Lakes Running Company studios here in Ithaca, New York. This makes it sound much more official than it is. It's just me sitting in my back inventory room. This here clever wall behind me. Um, but it's good to be here. Uh, it is uh, Trails Collective Live. This episode will originally air November 16th. Uh, for those who are tuning in live with us, uh, thank you so much. Uh, you can drop any questions or comments uh, most efficiently into the Trails Collective uh, YouTube uh, channel feed. And it's always good to have that uh, energy. For those that are catching the episode after the fact, uh, thanks for tuning in, uh, whether uh, video or in podcast form. Uh, it is great to have you. Uh, so uh, Trails Collective. Uh, what, so what I set out uh, to do with Trails Collective was to uh, create something that would bring together and celebrate the uh, many faces and entities of the trail running community. Uh, I think it is a really awesome family and um, I wanted to provide a bit more exposure to some of the voices, some of the events, some of the trail work opportunities, some of the shops uh, that often maybe don't get uh, the exposure in some of the media that was existing uh, at the time. Uh, and so we've sought to do just that. And for me, as I've mentioned in prior episodes, the trail running community uh, I think is an amazing uh, facet that allows it uh, allows us all to come together, enjoy the time together, uh, create shared experiences, and um, uh, in a, a day and age where everything is so entirely uh, divisive or uh, created to be divisive, this is something that brings us all together. Uh, so I very much want to uh, celebrate and support that. So for all those who have um, supported the Trails Collective, uh, whether it be for um, plugging in with uh, different segments or articles for the uh, website or uh, just sharing our posts or tuning in live. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, to those who have become Patreon supporters for any amount, uh, I thank you so very much uh, as well. And uh, at least in this past year, uh, in the first year that it was really up and going, we were able to turn that around into supporting some uh, great uh, East Coast athletes uh, as well. So very much uh, appreciate the support. Uh, so it'll be another hopefully fun and pretty packed episode uh, this round. Uh, so we are going to lead in here in just a minute, uh, digging into the Lake George 12ster uh, with uh, Shannon Ray and Sarah Tanis. Uh, just a something that caught my eye in one of their posts and something that I have reported on over the past couple of years with uh, FKTs that were on my radar. And it just seems like a, a pretty cool route and to uh, dig in on just some uh, trail story time from two friends who set out on a pretty cool adventure. Uh, somewhere around uh, 7.50, give or take, we will uh, switch gears uh, and head up to Maine for the Bold Coast Bash. And uh, this is one that I ran last year and just couldn't say enough about the, uh, the course uh, community. It was really a wonderful event. Uh, so John, thanks for making it, being on the back end there. Uh, we will turn to you in around 7.50. And we will bring in uh, Adeline and Colin, uh, if they're both able to uh, log on this evening as the 250K winners, and it'll be cool to uh, dig into that. Uh, and then we will switch gears to uh, turn toward the US, uh, uh, U.S. contingent for the Trail World Championships that just went down in Thailand uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think the uh, 4th and 6th. Uh, we're going to start around uh, 8 o'clock, give or take, with uh, Tom Hooper and Nancy Hobbs, uh, two individuals from the um, uh, support network uh, that went over to uh, Thailand and both have uh, pretty deep roots in the trail space. 
And so we'll uh, start a little bit with top level, uh, how it went from uh, their vantage point, the evolution of the trail space to, to get us to this point. Uh, and then at around uh, 8.30, give or take, uh, we will shift to some of the men's contingent for the uh, world team. Uh, we will have on with us here uh, this evening, hopefully Andy Wacker, uh, Jeff Colt, uh, Mason Coffey, and uh, if he gets it last minute, uh, Dan Kurtz. Uh, Max King was supposed to be on with us as well, uh, but he had a last minute uh, schedule thing come up, so he won't be able to join us, but I appreciate him being on with us several times in this past year or so. Uh, and then around nine, we will shift gears one more time to the uh, women's contingent. And we'll bring on uh, Michelle Merlis, Corey Dow, Allie McLaughlin, and uh, Leah Yingling. And hopefully that'll be a fun time digging into their uh, world's experience. Uh, so for sure, uh, thanks for tuning in any amount here. Uh, if you got the distance to, to go along with us tonight, I uh, appreciate it. And it should be a good, uh, I guess, imagine what's going to be a couple hours ahead. Uh, so uh, without uh, further ado... Uh, let's bring in, uh, Shannon and Sayard. It is good to see you both, if not, uh, at least digitally here. How's it going? Hey, Ian. Good to see you. Good to see both of you. Hi. Just caught some images, Sayard, of a, a good run that you had today with, I think, your two dogs. Is that how that shook out? Oh, yeah. It's my one dog, Birch. He's right here. And another one oh. that, um, we're taking on our outings during the weekdays. Her name is Ellie and they're... They're both really high energy, long distance trail dogs. So it's fun. Nice. So does that mean they go nuts if they don't get out on a, a, a long run with you during the day? Pretty much. They'll tear the house down if they don't get their outdoor time. But Birch has learned over the years. He knows we're going to get out eventually. I suppose that makes for good motivation then for you to, to stay on the training miles. Great coach right here I have. so Right on. All right, so for those who are not in the know, the Lake George Twelfster, uh, which we're going to be chatting on here for a few minutes, is a beautiful 40-mile circuit, including roughly 9,000 feet of gain, uh, covers 12 peaks surrounding Lake George uh, in northeastern New York, uh, kind of the foothills of the Adirondacks. Uh, the current men's standard route self-supported FKT is held by Scott Greger, and mixed gender supported time at 11 hours, 24 minutes. Uh, Bill Hoffman and Jake Stuckey hold the self-supported FKT for 21 hours and 31 minutes. Uh, Shannon. Uh, is coming at us from Horseheads, New York. She's a common face at regional Beast Coast lineups with podium finishes at Breakneck Point, Green Monster, Sproul, and running hard at others, including World's End, Black Forest, Escarpment, and Twisted Branch. Uh, Sayard is coming to us from Winfield, PA. Uh, she is also a coach with Sayard Tannis Coaching. So uh, if you want an uh, awesome coach, reach out to uh, Sayard. She brings uh, quite a bit of experience, particularly in, uh, some, over some of the uh, Beast Coast terrain here. Um, and she has been at or near the podium of Beast Coast Trail races over the years, including Heiner, Roth Rock, Whiteface, Sproul, Quest for the Crest, Boulder, Beast, Green Monster, and Breakneck Point. Um, so both of you coming at it with quite a bit of uh, experience under your, your feet, so to speak. Now, uh, who led in with um, Lake George Twelster and like what, uh, why Lake George Twelster? I think it was me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think this was my idea. Um, and I think I kind of planted the seeds and Sarah is the perfect partner to do something like this. Um, this idea was, you know, you mentioned earlier in the intro, it was really kind of hatched, I think, during COVID um, around 2020, when most of my races got canceled and I started kind of looking for just routes, things to do that weren't races, things that were experiences. Um, and this popped up on my radar um, 
And so <laughs> uh, it, it just 40, 40 miles, you know, in a day with 10,000 feet of vertical seemed very doable in 24 hours. So if you go to the website, uh, the Lake George 12 stir is out there. Um, some people spread it out. It's sort of a goal to do these 12 peaks over any period of time. But the ultra is if you can do all, all them in 24 hours. And uh, it seemed very manageable. I did not research like FKT type times. And so did you say it? I didn't look at the FKTs because I knew I didn't want to plant any ideas in my head about time goals or like what we were going to try to do out there. I figured this was a great adventure for us to take on ourselves and just see what we could do on a fun day. So no, I didn't look at the times. Um, but having heard now like the the self-supported or unsupported time, right. I think I might've set a few different, it would have aligned my ideas a little bit better for what we were getting into. I might not have spent so much time like at the car eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or, you know, like, we, we were right up there and we had a very slow day. <laughs> so actually, let's just start there with top line. I mean, I guess we can make that kind of the end of the story in, in 10 minutes or so, but let's not. So what was your what was your total time? What did it take you? It was 21 hours and 27 minutes and 30 seconds. So we were getting a lot closer to that 24 hour mark than I originally would have expected. Now, as we got out there and saw how the day was unfolding, I could see we were going to be pushing it closer and closer. And then even thinking, wait, did we look at the rules about when does our time stop? Does our time stop when we touch the last peak, when we're, we summit that last peak? Is that our time? Or do we have to get all the way back down the trail? Because I was thinking, wow, it might get this close that we need to use just our summit time as our final time to make it under that 24 hours and then hobble into the car beyond 24. That's what I was thinking might unfold there for a little bit. So I, I did not imagine it would be 21 hours. I really just didn't. because you were like, ah, 40 miles, 9,000 feet of gain. Like we're going to knock that out in like 15 hours. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, we could maybe like relax in the evening or, you know, go out and chill for like regular people. Maybe we'll go out to dinner, you know? Right. That's right. We'll stop in between like one of the legs. We'll come into town. We'll chill out <laughs> over, you know, whatever you're going to eat for an hour or so. And then we'll knock it out and maybe we'll push into 16 hours. Maybe. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what, uh, it, it didn't quite go that way. Uh, it, it took, it took a little bit longer. Um, and Shannon, you mentioned quite a bit of, uh, just transit time, like between. So how does the, how's the 12 star lay out in terms of it, like one clean shot on foot, or you're having to shuttle between certain, like, how's it all go down? Yeah, so if you if you really look at the 12 peaks, um, there's they're really divided, I think, into three sections, which is how we broke it up. So um, Kat and Thomas were a loop, and we, we did them first, and we got that loop done. Um, we started in the dark in the morning, and that went pretty well. Um, and they were done as a loop. So one car, and just back to our own car. Then we moved up to the Tongue Range of Lake George, um, and we plan to do that as point to point. Um, I had spent a lot of time kind of studying maps and logistics of how we were going to make this work um, because of that point to point nature of it. So what was clutch for us is getting a ride. Um, so we parked at one end of the tongue range and traversed it um, during the day. And then we got a ride at the end. 
Um, so that was kind of the second big chunk. Got a ride with a friend up there, or you're like, I'm just going to call an Uber or Lyft. And, and oh, we just, we just stuck our thumb out, you know, and hitchhiked. Oh, nice. <laughs> Anna. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Thanks to Anna, Shannon's cousin. Yes, wow. yes. Wow. I have a cousin in Saratoga Springs that uh, was clutch and giving us a ride, and she brought us hot coffee. And then we met some stranger at the trailhead who was like so impressed to hear what we were doing. Um, he's like, you're doing what? You're doing this all in one day. And then he gave us some fireball. <laughs> what? Where's fireball? I feel like in this past like year alone, fireball has ended up in my uh, aid station supplies. Not that I've provided, but like two different races, two of my aid stations have come out with take home taking home these like cases of fireball. Mm -hmm. Like how is fireball entering the trail and, and, and ultra space as much as it is? What's the deal with fireball? What's up? I don't yeah, drink I at all. So I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like I, what, yeah. I don't I know because people now. This guy was not an ultra runner. I'm telling you, he was just a guy we saw on the trails, I think with his dog. And he's like, Hey, and he opened up the back of his car and he's like, here, you, you girls should have some fireball. <laughs> and he gave me a fire five hour energy, which I was pretty stoked about. Yeah, so so that was that was how we kind of navigated that middle section being point to point. And I had spent a lot of time thinking about what order we were going to do these peaks in because I wanted to kind of minimize the mileage that we were doing and think about our route because there's driving time in between. So that 21 hours isn't all on foot. Um, <laughs> Grace. Um, it is it's also in the car. So then what we did after she picked us up, um, we ate a lot um, and we had to head over to the east side of Lake George to do the next four peaks. Um, and by then it was like getting to be late afternoon. <laughs> it was dark, right. And by then the other issue that really slowed us down um, was the fact that it was the end of October and there's probably six to eight inches of dry, slippery, loose leaves. It's covering. not like you guys both are from uh, New York and PA where like this is, I don't know, like maybe at some point you're like, that's uh, the awareness of that's how it is right now. Well, when Shannon only has one weekend a year that she's available, we just have to take what we can get. So uh -huh. <laughs> I would have preferred, I think, three feet of snow on that route opposed to the leaves, which you couldn't see any of the rocks. You can't, it's a blind landing. You have no idea what you're going to land on. When you do land, you slip and slide on the leaves. If, you're, if your weight is behind you at all, you're just falling back on your butt. So that definitely was a, a huge uh, element that slowed us, slowed us up off of any pace that we thought we might be able to keep. I guys should have maybe go ahead, Shannon. I think descending, we were slower than climbing. Like, oh, we, we were climb much better than we could descend. And I mean, even if I didn't care about my teeth, you know, or my breaking my ankles, like we could have descended faster. But I really was trying to preserve myself a little bit, and and so was Sarah. <laughs> yeah. So what? Um, you guys probably should have just gone and done done the Bold Coast Bash, like instead, because I don't really remember there really being many many leaves on the ground there, and maybe you should just reconsider. Uh, yeah. next year in, ser in terms of time. Well, so, I, I said at one point, I would rather be doing frozen snot right now because I mean, frozen snot is notoriously hard race, but I would have rather had snow and ice. 
than those than those freaking leaves. Right. Plus, you, the leaves. you couldn't see the trail. There was no. It was really hard to route find because the blazes were usually yellow, the same color as the leaves. And then there was no, you couldn't see, there was no trail worn in. So it just all looked the same. So that even slowed us up as far as like how fast we could progress forward. Yep. Um, the, I guess that's tough. I was going to say, is it kind of the technicality that you're used to, but if it's really under all leaves, uh, who the crap knows? I mean, you guys are both live in fairly technical areas. Sarah, Sarah, uh, you may be a little bit more than Shannon in terms of uh, footing and terrain. Mm -hmm. Uh, you think Lake George is as technical as like the Adirondacks or what would it be like under ideal conditions? I would say as you got more toward the, the summits, it's more Adirondacky feel um, with the larger rocks and more the higher mountain feel. Down lower, I guess it's it's closer to central PA. Maybe not quite as rocky, but there's still a lot of rocks and a lot of flat, smooth rocks. So if there's leaves on top of that, you're out of luck. I mean, if those rocks are angled at all. And just that you couldn't see what rocks you were landing on. So even if it wasn't quite as technical as some of the like central PA trails, it was still just a crapshoot as far as what your foot was going to hit. And I think Shannon and I both have a lot of ankle issues in the past. And I knew I was like, well, there's only one way to get through this day is to not destroy the ankle. So, uh, you know, I was going really cautious compared to like if I wanted to like full blown racist as fast as I possibly could. Which in something like this where you two are just getting together, I mean, where FKT is not necessarily the the focus, you two just getting together as friends and just sharing a beautiful weekend out there. Um, I mean, I guess that's it's almost better, right? And it looked like at least catching some of your photos, it looked like there's some pretty uh, beautiful vistas. Um, oh. It was definitely a pretty a gorgeous route that you did uh, choose despite the challenges. And I imagine... Uh, you'd have some some feedback for those going at it on their own in terms of maybe uh, time of year considerations, but uh, I don't know, uh, not the again. day before Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't recommend that. Um, I mean, it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. I think that sunrise that we caught first thing on Cat and Thomas was, you know, probably one of the best vistas I've ever seen anywhere. It was it was remarkable. I was just, it was one of those moments where you're just so grateful to be, have a healthy body that lets you do, you know, really amazing things, you know, with friends, just, just pure gratitude. And um, I mean, it didn't, that's how it started. I mean, it finished with a lot of complaining and in the dark and with wet feet and really like I, I said, I'm never coming back here again because Jared had said at one point, like we, we were just on these peaks on the East side of Lake George. And she's like, let's do this in the day sometime. And then we can see all the views. And I said, I'm never coming back here again. I'm never going to come back here. <laughs> I was, so I was it's a good thing we got through all the peaks that day because Shannon's not returning, but <laughs> That's crazy. All right, whatever. There's a lot of places to go. Uh, but it's cool that it was uh, absolutely beautiful. It was cool that you guys got to share uh, some miles uh, together. And and Sarah, how are you doing? How's your, how's your body? I mean, you're back to, to running and covering some miles and some bigger efforts. Yeah, I've been able to cover a lot of uh, long, long distance stuff lately. And I'm really thankful for that. I had backed off quite a bit and was mainly doing all hiking miles, still doing a lot of hiking miles, really not trying to press myself for any type of 
uh, performance and a running pace at all. But I think the mileage hiking is really paying off and you can cover a lot of ground that way still and have amazing experiences. And I feel like I'm building in health. So might even keep trying to uh, come up with some new adventures so we can start hitting some other longer stuff. And yeah, Shannon's the perfect partner for that. And we just, like she said, how grateful you are to be out there. And I was just so grateful, like hitting another peak and seeing another view and uh, just taking that all in and everyone is so valuable. So to hit 12 in one day with one of my best friends is just, is amazing. And the memories we made are, well, you know, last forever. That's awesome. What, uh, what each, each of you have anything else on deck or is the year pretty much tapped or anything you're most looking forward to to next year? Um, I have to see if I still possibly can hold off my teenage daughter in a turkey trot next week. That's good. That's an outstanding. She outstanding has not goal. beat me in a 5K yet, but I think this is her year. And which one are you talking about? I mean, what's the which one's having at it, Sam? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. I, I think well, she's got a couple. Year. She does. She has. She came out of the year the season pretty fit. She's got a couple weeks of uh, a taper going here. So correct. I don't know. My money's on Sam at this point. I think. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I have to stay loyal to my my friend and athlete here. So my money will be on Shannon. She has the experience. She knows how to go to the pain cave. Uh, she always comes through with a performance. So she's going to get it done. Well, I'll be I'll be glad to take the win, I think, on this one. I'm going to have to shoot <laughs> Sam a message of uh, support and maybe see if um, – because I don't even know how that goes. Maybe Grace can, can send her some fireball uh, ahead of the effort. Uh, last, yeah. last year on Thanksgiving, I held her off by 10 seconds. Ooh, you're definitely going down this year. That's outstanding. <laughs> Sayer, that is a poor will, bet on your I will your go part. down swinging. I will well, go down swinging. We're just going to have to start the mind games on Sam. <laughs> <laughs> All right, touche. All right, well, it was cool to see your photos. I'm glad you guys got out for an awesome adventure. Um, it was cool to hear a little about, a bit about a route that I've been kind of plugging here and there over the past couple of years. So uh, thanks for taking some of your time here to, to yeah, chat about awesome. it. Thanks Ooh, so yeah. much. Totally. And Ian, if you do do it, definitely. Shannon did so much planning. I, do, well, did, I'm not doing that thing. What are you talking about? I just, I just <laughs> we were bushwhacking. You can cut miles off, Ian. You can just bushwhack yeah. off the side of every summit because yeah. you don't have to follow the exact route. So we were making our own way all the way across Lake George Wild area. Yeah. So if is if you go on Strava heat map now, mm-hmm. now after our adventure, there'll be one yep. tiny little skinny line. That is a complete bushwhack off the side of first peak. Uh-huh. It's us. Wait, uh, way to just, um, uh, way to track that out. Now that, that heat map is just going to grow and grow. We're going to call it the Sayer Shannon, uh, Shannon, um, tangent or whatever we're going to call it. What? Yeah. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, I am going to shift to Maine. Uh, thank you so much for being on yeah. here. We could probably chat more on it because it'd be, I'm sure you got some f- funnier stories to come out of that, but uh, <laughs> before I know it's going to be nine 30. So I'm yeah, the shift. tall tales, people can get in touch with us if they want to hear the tall tales. All right. Maybe we'll have to have a, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'll drop, I'll drop, I'll drop Shannon's number here into the, uh, the comment for anybody who wants to give her a call. Um, that's good. <laughs> I already wrote it on the stall wall out here in case you didn't Oh, good. In my, yeah, in my okay. phone's been going crazy. Now I know why. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I put just call her about the 12 star, which maybe has a different connotation, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Um, so I will talk to you both later. All right. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, everyone. All right. All right see ya. See ya.
All right, so we are going to shift gears. Uh, John, thanks for being on, and Colin, thanks for making it. And Adeline, there you are. Good to see you all. How's it going? Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, thanks for being on for a little bit. Um, so for those, actually, I could probably just have uh, you. Uh, I was going to give people the rundown of those who aren't familiar with the Bold Coast Bash. If they haven't been following my episodes the past uh, year or two of every time that I celebrate the, uh, the Bold Coast Bash. Uh, but uh, so, John, I'll have you intro it here in a second. Um, and then on with us, uh, Adeline uh, Casali. Did I pronounce that right? I probably bludgeoned it in some form. Yep, Casali. Yeah, Casali. All right, lucked out on that one. All right. <laughs> Coming to us from Harrison, Maine, eight, age 21. She's getting out of the gates early with East Coast gems, including Magenta Cook, Kilkenny, Chakora, and Bold Coast. Uh, nice work on that lineup so far, getting after it. Uh, and then Colin O'Brien um, made it a little bit harder for me to uh, internet stalk here ahead of the episode. Uh, coming to us from Cape Elizabeth, Maine, at age 37, with only four results on Ultra Sign Up. Dude, where have you been hiding out there? How, well, how's that only four results? So my ultra sign up, the apostrophe in my name messes it up. So I have, I have a bunch of results that are on different Colin O'Briens all over the country. So, <laughs> Well, way to keep us all guessing in terms of which Colin O'Brien it is. He, however you want to register the RDs to report it for the day. Um, right on. Um, and John, so coming at us from the Bold Coast Runners, uh, maybe give us just the top level, what Bold Coast Runners are all about, and then intro the uh, Bold Coast Bash course a bit. Okay, um, thanks for having us on. Um, yeah. Bold Coast Runners, yeah, we're the, uh, I guess we're the furthest east running club in the USA. Um, some of our members are over the border in Canada. Um, we're just out, way out in the sticks in far eastern Maine. Bunch of us got together as runners and said, let's establish a club. And from the club and running together, we started establishing races. We've got a couple of road races and three trail races. And the Bold Coast Bash, um, that takes place on our favorite trail. Um, the Bold Coast trails are absolutely magnificent. And we run them regularly and we said, hey, we should have a race out here. And uh, so we started the, the Bash about three years ago. We were interrupted, sorry, five years ago, because we were interrupted um, for two years by COVID, um, and the the course is absolutely beautiful. Uh, you know, Ian, um, you did a great little video on it when you came out. Uh, runs along the cliffs, uh, a couple of hundred feet high, waves crashing underneath. You're running across rocky beaches. You're running through old growth forests. Um, well, I say running. Uh, a lot of people say, well, you're kind of scrambling. Um, you're sliding, you're uh, scrambling, you're clambering, you're pushing through stuff. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a challenging course. doesn't have very much elevation, uh, but you are continually going up and down and changing pace and uh, going over rocks, going through bogs, going over crumbling um, bog bridging. That's some of the best stuff. Six-inch nails sticking out. Um, some of the boards. Now we're talking main nails. We're not just talking these little like itty bitty nails. We're talking these like spikes that are you know about like eight inches long and about as, as high as your shin. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the bulk bridging is getting replaced. We were out placing the uh, um, flagging last week and um, the state had a helicopter in uh, delivering bundles of um, boards for rebuilding the bulk bridging. That was quite exciting, them flying this stuff in and dropping it um, in drop zones. So progressively that's going to get improved. Um, I think one of the most notable things about the trail is it's just always slippery. And this year we had a um, really exciting Saturday, very strong winds, uh, a couple of inches of rain. So everything was wetter and more slippery than usual. Um, so how these guys got around in the times they did and, set, and how Adeline set a new record, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, yeah. This. And so does this course differ from prior years? Like would the, her would her time and Colin's time be equivalent of the prior 50K incarnations or is there a difference at this point? Um, no, they're the same. It's the same course as uh, we ran last year when you were there, the 50K. They both just have a couple newer bridges, so technically they have a softer course than, than the rest of us had, what you're saying. Uh, the original course we had was shorter. It was only a 10-mile loop. So what you're saying is the year that I ran it was both harder than when they're doing because the bridges were older and their course earlier than us, like when Patrick Karen set that maybe measly record early on that his course was just short, is what you're saying. But yeah, his, his, his course was shorter. Um, that was the first course. It was only about 10 miles long. Um, then when the parks people adjusted the course, they took out, what they took out was about a mile of knee-deep mud. Um, and so, uh, well, Patrick came back this year uh, because we told him the course had changed. So his record no longer stood um, on the new course. So he had to come back and uh, of course, he set a new record. <laughs> he got he got around the ten point five uh, miles in one hour twenty eight minutes. Cool. It's uh, good that he's uh, he's back and and able to jump in some of these mixes. That's pretty awesome. It's it's incredible, absolutely incredible. So, um, so Colin and Adeline, do you guys both have experience with the course? I mean, you're. I mean, I guess one of the things that for those who haven't quite processed where the course is, I mean, it, it's out there. Um, it, uh, it takes some takes some doing. Uh, and when he says the furthest east uh, in terms of the club, I suppose that makes it the most beast coast because it truly is the, the most east. So when I just say you guys are at least in that neck of the woods, I'm a, you know, you're kind of in the same state. But I know it's a haul for, for my 99 percent of Maine residents. So. Have you guys been out there before? Or is it your first time or you have experience on the course? Yeah, I uh, I went backpacking out there in college and I just did the loop. So I sort of remembered it. I mostly remembered the bog bridges and slipping on them. Um, but we have like some pretty good technical trails in like the mid coast main area near like Camden and up near Acadia. So I've done a good amount of running there. I think that sort of helps prepare. Yeah, and I, I, this was my first time in the area. I'm down just south of Portland, so it's, you know, four and a half hours almost to get up there, uh, so quite a ways, but um, we also have a surprising network of trails down here that feature a lot of crumbling bridges, which certainly helped, but 
Um, I was I was really surprised by how technical the course was. You know, you look at 640 from I think last year it was 637, the person who won Ben Nephew's time. And for a 50K, that's just that's not a lightning speed. Um, and as soon as I got on the course, I I realized why it's just it's really technical, sort of relentlessly. Um, yeah, but first time up there and so gorgeous. And so there was and speaking to Ben's time, so I think uh, he and I uh, shared that opening loop or loop or two. I forget how long we were together, but just completely just appreciating the the day, uh, catching up as friends, remarking on the course, um, pretty just kind of relaxed, like social effort. Uh, and then I flagged a bit and, and he went on and, and I think hammered the maybe uh, loop and a half or, or so. Um, and then uh, once I kind of recovered a bit, I decided, you know, this is just too beautiful a course to feel like I just want to go out and just like kind of race it. Um, and so I really took my time. That's where I captured some of the, the video from some of the uh, various parts of the course. Cause I really just wanted to experience it and spend time out there in case I didn't make it back out there. So for both of you, did you feel like you can kind of go out and charge or were you just kind of like, and still appreciate it? Or were there times where you're like, I, I just got to stop and just kind of hear this wave crash or I got to, you know, you know, whatever. There's so many spots out there. It's just like, I got to stop and just kind of experience this for the moment. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I pulled off on some of the overlooks and it was almost like Thunderhole and Acadia-esque where you could hear it's like the waves. It was the high boom. tide. So they were just crashing in. It sounded like it was crazy loud um, and you were getting sprayed by it. It was so cool. It was hard not to like stop and appreciate it every once in a while. Yeah. And I, I, um, I was in the unique spot of, because it was a staggered start. I started um, relatively close to the front. So within the first four miles, I was told that I had taken the lead. Um, so I found that pretty stressful. I'm usually someone who starts more in the mid pack and lets, Let's the field sort itself out and then and then charge the second half. So I found myself really like wanting to pause and enjoy the time. And and I remember like watching your video, Ian, and seeing some of those like scenic scenic shots and thinking, mm -hmm. oh, he really set this up and I should I should be enjoying it. And then I, I found myself kind of looking over my Bleeding. shoulder. <laughs> and you know, I'm glad I did for the result wise, because it was, I mean, it was a real squeaker. Um, a second place. It was like a minute or something. What was the separation? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Two, two minutes. And, two minutes. you know, we saw each other every lap at the cherry stem and he was right behind me. And so I knew, and he was, were you guys in the same wave or you were aware of the stagger? And so it was I, like, you didn't quite know. No, I didn't quite know. And, and he, he started six minutes behind. So he was actually, he led the first two laps by time, but not by place, if that makes sense. So I didn't, I didn't have all the time to enjoy it, um, but I still took some sort of strategic breaks here and there to, to watch, especially Adeline, as you said, those sort of roaring breakers, that huge swell that was coming in. I mean, sometimes you just, you had to watch it. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, so many things. Yeah, go ahead, Adeline. I, I actually had something similar happen where I had the first lap, I like took it pretty easy, like took a bunch of pictures, was chatting with everyone, same with the second. And then at the second aid station, um, like going into the third lap, the woman in second place caught up to me and we hit it at the same time. And I was like, oh no, now is the time to go. <laughs> and the last lap was just all out. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty cool there, right? And yeah, I mean, just reflecting so many spots on that course, that that one specific spot before you leave the coast and you, you kind of turn your back and that's kind of where you're getting some of that boom. And then you get the beach where you get the, particularly early in the morning before the tides change. I don't know whether it was the same, you get all of the, 
the kind of the singing rocks like on the beach and you get the yeah. crashes and oh, there's just so many amazing spots to that course. And, and John, for you, you know, it's, I imagine it's a, the restrictions on you are uh, pretty significant. I mean, you've got to keep it capped at like 30 runners or something like that. What are you able to do out there? Yeah, we're, we're capped at 60 runners, uh, okay. 60 runners each day. But uh, one of the things Adeline and Colin haven't mentioned was that Saturday, um, we had some terrific weather. There were gales, really strong winds, there were a couple of inches of rain, um, and the wind was from the south, so it really blew up the waves. And uh, high tide came in the middle of the day, so we had the massive waves coming through at that time. Um, so anyway, yeah, we're limited to 60, 60 runners a day, we were allowed this year to run it over two days, Saturday and Sunday. So we did the 10.5 mile on Saturday and the 50K on the Sunday, except because of the weather, we actually had to postpone Saturdays, put them in on the Sunday. Um, and that worked because a lot of people dropped uh, because of the weather. So we had lower numbers. So we were close to the state's limits. But the state's concern is that the, and, and this is true of all their public lands, you cannot conduct an event um, that keeps the public away from the resource. And so we have to ensure that hikers can get in there or campers can get in there um, around the runners. The runners don't get in the way of anyone. Um, but once, it's one of the reasons we have the um, rolling start. You know, everyone gets an individual start time. We're starting people 15 seconds apart. So people start spread out. Once they're out on the trail, they get further spread out. And so it works fine. We have to manage the parking area carefully. Um, we keep the runners out of the parking area. So there's a reserved area for the visitors. But we work closely with the state and um, they're beginning to understand these crazy runners who like to hold events in their parks. And um, so they're, you know, uh, we're building knowledge, building sympathy, and we're going to be helping them with some of the replacement of the bog bridging. We'll get club members out as volunteers. So that builds the relationship and the cooperation. So we're hoping we may be able to increase a little bit in numbers next year. But uh, yeah, we are very firmly capped at 60 runners in each event. Um, one of the surprising things this year was we had, a wait, we had waiting lists for both um, events that were 15 or 16 people long. We cleared both of those waiting lists in the last couple of weeks before the event. A lot of people pulled out. Seem to be a lot of injuries this year. And also, I think a lot of people read the weather predictions and decided, oh, we saw we saw what it can be like in Ian's video of the day after last. The day after, right? I mean, that's pretty real. Like it, and I think that that clarified it for me too. I mean, you've got the the safety and the gear restrictions ahead of the race, and I'm just like, well, whatever. Like I that's a 10, 10 and a half mile loop. I'm uh, whatever, let, let me go. I'm good. But then right if the weather changes out there, it can really drop, it can really be blustery, and it can be slick and whatever you can slip on the rock can be around the tides. There's so many things where for a seemingly 
mild course in some ways, it does have the very real safety concerns. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going along the top of slippery, slippery cliffs as well. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. And if you think about, well, how would you rescue someone from in there? Um, with great difficulty, basically. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, so in, yeah, I definitely had that perspective too. You know, I came into ultra running from a mountaineering background. And so seeing this sort of kit list that was more than I might take into a long day in the mountains, I for a 10 mile loop, I, I was questioning it. And then seeing the conditions of our race day, which right around the time, I think when Adeline finished, it was really degrading. It got very cold and really wet on top of already being tough conditions. And so the folks who were finishing, I mean, really needed what they had, what they had to carry. And I certainly would have run with a lot less. And I was, I was glad to be, to have what I had in my back for sure. I imagine you're also getting the, it seems like a, uh, growing scene as well to the benefit of all of you, hopefully in terms of participation, demand, interest, but uh, Adeline and Colin, just being there in, in Maine where you are, it seems like the trail running scene has been growing uh, pretty well. Uh, I mean, you've got several new kind of profile or really cool events, just like in the past, maybe three or five years, so you can get some more runners uh, running clubs, uh, building steam around both of your your necks of the woods it's got to be a pretty cool time to be in maine and, and kind of being a trail runner seeing that uh, develop yeah do you yeah definitely yeah so okay. I, I i moved here just about a year ago from uh bozeman um so uh discovering the trail running scene i found it just very open and um obviously like a little less hyped up than montana scene um but incredibly friendly. And I also ran McGuntercook. I met um, Adeline's partner there um, last year and yeah, have just run some great races and the, this, this race, Bull Coast Bash, I mean, I think it was the best aid station. It's only one, but it was the best aid station I think I've been to. Um, it was just so, so wonderful and such a well-run race. Um, and it does seem that there's, there's a real growing community and, and more people who are trying to either start trail running groups or, um, promote races or put up FKTs. Um, and that's, that is really exciting to see because there is a fantastic amount of running around here that, um, that I think is kind of a well-kept secret. I mean, I had never heard of the Bold Coast until this race and now I, I just can't wait to get back. Yeah. And I think definitely because like the community is so small, you see the same faces, uh, at all the races and you make really strong connections. And I feel like you leave a race with like five new friends and five new people to run and explore in your areas with. And I think that's really great. So it's great to see it expand and join more people in. And what, uh, before we transition again here, what, uh, what do you guys all have on, on deck? What, whether the end of this year or something you're really keying in on or excited for, for next year? Uh, my partner and I are headed out west next week, and hopefully, crossing my fingers, if the weather's good, we're going to try for another rim to rim to rim on the Grand Canyon. So yeah. that should be cool. Yeah. Yep. And I'm I'm signed up for Millinocket for the marathon. Um, I am too, actually. Oh, nice. Well, hope, yeah. hopefully I'll see you out there. I'm, I'm waffling a little bit, but it's just that post-race haze. I'm already feeling more certain about it than I was yesterday, so hopefully yeah. I'll be out there. Is that, when is that? Is that coming uh, right December on? 3rd, uh, the Millinocket Marathon. It's a free uh, free marathon put on by the town. 
um, supposed to be an amazing event, um, and it's really developed a cult following. Um, I think once people run it, they come back year after year. Um, it's, I think it's a dirt road marathon, and it can be cold. <laughs> Does that yeah. Great. Yeah. Half and half. So half, and half. Yeah. Uh, and John, how about you? Something that you're uh, anything rounding out this year for next year that you're looking forward to? Well, I just signed up for an ultra marathon. Uh, it's about a 35 miler on the island of Tiree off the west coast of Scotland. And you run around the entire island on the beaches and headlands and finish exactly where you started. It runs in alternate directions, different years. So either the sea's on your right or the sea's on the left. And you just keep going to get till you get back to where you started. Oh, that sounds cool. You got me Googling it here in one of my browsers to uh, you know, check it out. So what's the actual name of it? Tyree, T-I-R-E-E. Yep, cool. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna check that out. So that's, that's my big target for next year. Sweet, right on, that's exciting. Uh, awesome. Well, right on. Um, well, uh, Adeline, hopefully the, the Canyon, uh, greets you well, as well as the number of people that, uh, no doubt you'll pass, uh, on the same adventure, uh, that day. Uh, Colin, hopefully you get a bluebird sky and 40 degree temperatures and John, hopefully you get the fine Scottish, uh, Scottish mist, uh, <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, right on. We'll be great to catch up with you uh, all as you go. And thanks so much for, uh, for taking a little bit of your time out here tonight. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, yeah, right thanks for having us. All right, talk to you next round. All right, so we are going to shift gears, and I am going to weave in, and thanks for being on the back end there, uh, checking it out. Uh, Nancy and Tom and Mason, thanks for being on early in the back end there as well. Good to see you, buddy. Um, good to see you both. Hi, Hi what's going on? Um, so for, uh, those not in the know, uh, Nancy Hobbs has been a, I don't know, a good face, uh, either in person or digitally for American trail running here for a little while, uh, I'd say, um, and, uh, Tom Hooper, uh, many of you may know if you followed along with, uh, some of the trails collective live episodes, um, and to make it a little bit more formal. Uh, Tom is coming to us from uh, Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, he's a trail team leader for Worlds, or AKA a glorif glorified water boy. Uh, he's the owner of 603 Racing and RD a number of East Coast races, including one of the World Trail, qual trail Qualifiers, uh, Loon Mountain Race. Uh, Nancy is the executive director of the American Trail Running Association and the USATF Mountain Ultra Trail Council chairperson. Although she resides in Colorado Springs, Colorado, We'll give her a pass as she's got Beast Coast roots, being from Bethlehem, PA. And she's been in the trail scene since the 80s, uh, give or take, and was a founding influence in women's mountain running for the, uh, the U.S. Uh, so <clears throat> thanks for both being on here uh, tonight. So uh, my hope is that we can just banter for a bit on, I don't know, especially with you, Nancy, seeing uh seeing it over the years and at this point decades kind of unfold unfold rather um kind of where we've come to and, and tom being in the mix now and and weaving into rding some uh prior mountain running 
qualifiers and national championships. I mean, you're really embedded uh, in the scene for sure at this point as well. And coming at one of the probably biggest uh, hotbeds of uh, mountain running in the U.S., which is that New England, uh, kind of New Hampshire uh, area. Uh, so hopefully just banter on uh, the scene uh, and then your trips uh, as individuals as well. Uh, Nancy, you've seen quite a few of these at this point in terms of uh, world championships. You can maybe comment on some of the, uh, I guess, the changes uh, that have happened in the championship uh, format. Uh, and then just talk about uh, where we're at. And then Tom also, it's interesting just because uh, you being one of the RDs trying to navigate also some of these changes, like, I don't know what's happening. Like, well, I don't know, like who's qualifying for what or what's this format or what, I, I don't know what. Um, you know, so all the just, conversations that we had this summer. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. And it will probably, you know, continue, continue to have. Um, yeah. So let's kind of lead in there. So, um, Nancy, I mean, just, uh, jiving where we're at now with kind of like where you started this, like trying to feel one of the first or successfully feeling one of the first women's team at worlds. I mean, this is landscapes. I imagine changed in, uh, in some ways, in some ways still kind of the same. So I know that's a very broad concept and we could probably pin it down into more specific questions, but just talk about kind of where this has come from and you, you've kind of seen the evolution. Yeah. I'd say for the, um, the, uh, Biggest changes I've seen is um, the events are now the same distance for men and women. <laughs> um, because in the past it was, uh, and also the number of uh, team members, because it used to be uh, four women, six men, the women ran shorter, uh, significantly shorter than the men. Um, and so that's probably the biggest change I've seen. And also, as far as the U.S. side, the inclusion of juniors, um, U-20 athletes. The first year we took U-20 was in 2002, and we've been taking a team ever since. Um, so those are probably the big changes. And then, you know, obviously the first year we took the women's team, that would have been in 1995 in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, I heard you were talking to a, a fellow that's going to run around somewhere in Scotland um, yeah. on your earlier episode there. But um, yes. Um, so yeah, I'd say those are like the biggest changes. Um, and there was never prize money this year. There was prize money um, in the event. We had one other year we had prize money in the, the mountain champs, but um, you know, the whole format is, is changed now as well because it used to be mountain running at one championship, trail running at another championship, long distance trail at another, and now the idea of bringing them all together. So now we have four and essentially five with the U, um, the U20s um, competitions. Uh, and it's gonna be an every other year event. Although since Thailand, and I know we're talking a little bit about Thailand tonight, since um, the inaugural event was postponed twice, uh, we are fortunate to have a world championship in 2022 and 2023, and then the next one would be 2025. All right. So all still evolving. Correct. Right? And, yeah. and even just hearing you talk about it, I was like, ah, like if it's not every other year, every year, I'm just like, all right, I, I kind of, I kind of lost following it there a bit, but there's so many, so many layers to unpack. And even what you just said there. Um, in terms of some of the changes that you've seen in the evolution of this sport, uh, evening it uh, out, does that mean that the, that the the women don't have to wear full dresses and they're allowed to show their arms now? Is that the? Uh... 
Yeah, and, and people aren't as worried about our ovaries falling out on the trail, you know. So that's the biggie, you know. Yeah, that's um, that's yeah. the impactors of the uh, the Trail Sisters Mafia, I think, making the uh, the, the changes on on the back end. Yeah, so some of those. So and it's, all right, and so. What do you think? I guess you're consolidating uh, the energy, but are there other external influences that you're seeing in the space where USATF or uh, who, uh, uh, I don't know, the bodies that be are, are somewhat competing? I mean, you've got the Golden Trail series, right? You've got the Sky Running uh, series. You've got all these other kind of competing entities for a fairly similar demographic, uh, a certain amount of uh, elites or uh, professional runners that have to kind of pick and choose where they're going to run, maybe where maybe their sponsors align with a certain um, series. Is there some degree of we're doing this to stay competitive in the space? Um, you know, to a small degree, but when you look at the number of years, the especially the mountain champs has been going on, you know, you're over 30 years, you know, this has been going on for quite a while. So it's, you know, not meant to compete with other events, you know, it's, it's the, you know, Olympics of our discipline and we don't have an uh, Olympic presence yet. Um, you know, it's something that's on certainly on the radar and been on the radar for a number of years for everyone. Um, I don't know if that'll ever happen in, in my lifetime. Um, but this is the next best thing to have, uh, you know, everybody come to state the stage on, on a world level. Um, and it, it does get confusing, you know, certainly the insiders as well as those that are on the outside fans of the sport. And that's one of the things you want to drive to build community is the fans of the sport. And if they're confused, then it's a real challenge. Like where do, what do I watch? When do I watch it? Is it live streamed? Is it not? How does all this work? Um, and which athletes are becoming heroes in the sport and who do I follow? And all those things are, you know, definitely a challenge. And, and then you've got the governance and the politics that are involved. You know, where are the events happening? You know, what's the permitting situations? What, you know, how much is the hosting fee to put, put on a world championship? And, you know, as you see with Golden Trail and uh, UTMB, you know, these are models that are expensive. It doesn't cost them, you know, a couple thousand dollars. You know, you're upwards of a lot of money. Um, so, you have to look at all those things. And, and I think trying to balance and attract the athletes is important. And all that builds with fans in the sport and starting at a young age um, with the athletes to get them excited about the events. So, um, yeah. Let's, um, I'm going to weave in, Jeff, you're on the back end. I'm going to pull you through uh, early here. Cause maybe you can, it'd be interesting to hear your vantage point uh, of this as well. And I'll, I'll um, mention that question or where I'm thinking um, in here in just a second. And how about for you, Tom, where you're straddling uh, that line of uh, somewhat being uh, outside? I mean, you're, you're not necessarily sitting on the, the committee. You're not you know, necessarily, um, I don't know, but you, you've had these uh, events that are funneling into uh, being a national championship or maybe team qualifier for this entity. And then and the other one's a mountain entity. And and for you, is it like, yeah, this is good. Like it's all consolidating it under now one, one tent. And uh, I don't know, like your vantage point. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it got a little muddled only because of COVID where the years, like if we came in and we just said, all right, it's, it's odd, odd years, 21, 23, 25. But because of that little bit, of, it, it had just started. It had just combined the, the trail and the mountain. 
where I think that that's what got a little confusing, but I think it's going to sort itself out. I think it will, will start to, I think that we're going to get more of an understanding of what it is as an entity as a whole. So I think that that, I think it would be, I think it'll, I think it'll take off. Mm -hmm. And for you, uh, Jeff, and for those who are watching now or for listeners, I'll do a more appropriate uh, introduction of Jeff here when we switch to the men's segment in just a bit. Uh, but for your, for, uh, for introducing here, uh, just Jeff Colt. Uh, Jeff is a current uh, uh, athlete with uh, On Running, um, as I imagine other hats that he wears. But for you now as a uh, professional runner, um, I mean, how's that go? I mean, you've got a lot of pull in, in different directions, right? I mean, Western was probably a focus for you uh, this past year. You you had at it with really strong performances of qualifying races such as uh, Bandera. Um, how does it go in terms of how you think about national championships versus other series that either maybe on is putting on or uh, making the decision to go to the feeder races for Western. I think you and I, we talked about it at least a little bit, maybe in terms of taking a break from just feeding into like the Western qualifiers uh, for this, this upcoming year when we were chatting in, in California. But I mean, there's gotta be a pull in pretty different directions here for you. And, and how's this, I mean, is this like a, I don't know, can you comment on that in terms of that poll or how this, this feeds in? Yeah, definitely. Um, World Championships was an unreal experience. It was really well organized. I think it was a really high level of competition. If you looked at just ITRA or UTMB index scores for the men's race, um, it's way deeper than Western States. Um, it was way deeper than probably most every race other than UTMB. Uh, I maybe ranked top 50 in that race. Um, so the level of competition was really high. I think that was maybe uh, the most exciting thing was wearing that USA on my chest and knowing that I was representing a team and there were three other guys out there running with me. I got pulled along and I think I ran the best race I've run. You know, it, it pulled the best competition out of me, which was a cool experience. And that's something I want to seek out again. In terms of like Western States, Golden Trail Series, UTMB, my sponsors definitely have a focus. And like most sponsors, I'd say that focus is Western States and the UTMB Series. Um, I'm going to put my best foot forward at a golden ticket race this winter. Ideally, I get a golden ticket to Western States and I can use that as collateral with the uh, USATF volunteer organizers uh, to try to get an alternative spot on a world champs team, because right now I think that's actually a higher priority for me than Western States. Um, Western States has a huge recovery that was necessary after, you know, July and August, my favorite months to be in the high country in Colorado, I was wiped and a 50 mile race just has less of an impact. I think with the timing in June, it actually opens up more of a racing season to me than something like Western States. I don't see that as like, oh, like the timing is bad. Yeah, I have to make a decision. Do I want to run Western States or do something like World Champs? But um, considering the distances of the up, down, uh, and then 40K, 80K, I think it's actually great timing, great positioning for any runner potentially thinking of, you know, the UTMB series in August, early September. Um I think it's going to have staying power was kind of my takeaway from it. Um, I mean, Adam Peterman got flown to meet the prime minister of Thailand, like right after the race. <laughs> um, 
it it was a cool experience and I definitely encourage other folks to to look into the qualifying standards and and getting to a world championship race. Um, I think in terms of the youth involvement too in the U19 category, no race has more potential to steer the direction of trail running and mountain running than this world championship model. And Max King will come on in a moment. Like we were already talking, like how do we have more U19 oriented introductory races in the U S to get our fastest, you know, high school and collegiate runners comfortable on trail because the global stage, it was um, impressive how fast some of these U19 runners were. Yep. How about the, how about the money in the, in the sport from, I mean, you, you each would have different vantage points, but um, is that from a new sponsor deck that was coming from Thailand for the race, Nancy, or for any of you, or was that like a larger singular ticket sponsor that now has more, or is that from Nike or, or somebody else that's putting in for that? And I imagine that, do you think that that really makes a difference on the competition set, bringing in people like uh, Jeff and, and versus maybe other polls that they may have with, with races that are offering you know bigger purses or whatever? Well, I think in terms of looking at uh, prize money, you also have to look at the value add that an athlete would get, as Jeff mentions, from like, oh, you know, what is his contract? Yeah. Does he get bonuses for being at certain events? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's a bigger picture than just throwing money and saying, oh, you've got, you know, you win $5,000, which doesn't sound like much, but then it begets, you know, additional funds, you know, as based on performance level. Um, and this, the funds that came for the world champs was from the LOC, the local organizing committee, you know, via either the tourist bureau, or I'm not sure where all the you know funds came from, um, related to the, the actual event, but certainly with that. And I, I do want to say, um, something that Jeff mentioned about wearing the USA on the chest. It, it's like, I don't want to have a kumbaya moment, but at the same time, hearing the national anthem played several times and all of us were singing was pretty special. And I, you know, Jeff was on the podium there and um, I mean, you could speak to that, but it, it was a very special moment for all of us on team USA. And it just, it elevates the experience and, and the opportunity and the potential and the excitement. And um, having seen the athletes year after year compete, um, I will say that they throw it down and, and get the best out of themselves at these events. So I'll reiterate what Jeff said about that. And, and I think it all, it's a, like a community. I think um, this was Jeff's first time and also Tom. Um, one of the things is that we are like a team, the, the staff, the athletes, you know, you have uh, family members that come. It's a, col- it's a collective and it's something that really works to just elevate everyone. Um, so I just wanted to kind of throw that into. And, and that was, I think, something that I was uh, conscious of there as well in terms of that, that feeling, the experience for you, Tom. I mean, your, your first reaction when I was like, hey, you want, want to join us uh, tomorrow night or whatever. It's like, ah, these guys should see the work. You know, what are we going to talk about? But for like you, I mean, that's, that's got to be huge and, and a very just like cool opportunity, cool experience to uh, experience. I mean, not to mention the, the petting, the, the elephants uh, there. 
but also just to be there and to kind of sport the team wear and um, I mean, that it's must unbelievable. Just been, yeah, I mean, I mean, and I, this sounds really odd and weird, but you know, they they sent you the suitcase with all the clothes, and at first, you know, it it's a weird going from being a runner, you know, the athlete to like to the staff, and then putting this these clothes on. You know, you put on the red, white, and blue. It's it's super. It's a weird feeling. It's a really it's an amazing feeling, and you go to that that opening ceremony. It's unbelievable. I, I you. I don't want to make this sound weird, but you, like, I guess if you're a sponsored athlete, I'm not sure you can put a price on that. I, you can ask Jeff that, but I, I, I mean, I, and working as a team with three other guys that are relying on you, that's, I don't know if there's another race that you can get that out of. Uh, yeah. I, I, it was, it was an unbelievable, you know, experience. And that framework and that structure uh, looked cool in terms of uh, just the layout, like seeing the photos that, uh, you or somebody else posted of the kind of tent city and having the the tent for the U.S. and having the flag there and seeing you there as like your aid station. And it was fun looking at the photos that I think you posted of the uh, notes from I think it, one of them was like Lapuma's right up on what he wanted in the uh, um, like an aid station. I mean, that must have been also just part of a really cool experience. And that must have been cool for you, too, Jeff, I don't imagine as an athlete and you know, rolling into like kind of the team USA tent or whatever. And, and just part of that feeling. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the team aspect, I felt like I, you know, got to hang out with 37 people who I wasn't necessarily close with many of whom have been my idols in the sport. And, uh, um, I think that that was definitely special on the, on the money aspect. I think that you'd asked previously, um, you know, there, there wasn't a performance incentive for me for going to this race, um, or for, you know, for team USA winning gold, that would be a cool thing to try to negotiate. Uh, but I like, I think I would look past that more, more often than not. I think Adam Peterman would be an interesting person to talk to about that because, you know, the performance incentive for winning something like a Western States is typically really high. Um, and that's where I think a financial decision comes into play, but I've never had that experience, maybe back to high school States in cross country where like those colors meant everything. And, uh, or I was praying for Adam Mary to pass me so I could just like kind of limp my way in. Cause I was like cramping up really badly. And, uh, at the same time, I was like, I got to keep going as hard as possible because I know Adam and Eric are are putting in the work here ahead of me and uh you know like for us to have any chance of podiuming required me to kind of dig mentally and spiritually to a level that i haven't done especially when my body was shutting down as much as it was so special like again whether that's like eventually rolled into a lot of these primary sponsors and their performance incentives we'll see in years to come. I think uh, the race needs to gain more clout, but that was a competitive world championships, regardless of what anyone says. All you have to do is look at some of the podiums and uh, some of the performances. Um, I think it's only going to get more competitive from here, especially landing on European soil next, uh, next June. Well, I guess that's interesting too. And it may have just been something that you just, um, uh, mentioned in, in passing there where you said the race needs to gain more clout and maybe that's what you mean, what you meant, or maybe that would be 
just a phrase that was used, but like, it's crazy. I guess the, I guess the, the concept of at least U S championships. So for instance, in the years that Cayuga trails was the, um, the U S uh, 50 mile trail championship, uh, initially, I think as the sport continued to, to grow, a report was growing further and we had a big prize purse. We got a, a, a pretty decent kind of uh, deep front field. I think when we lost the the purse and as the, the scene continued to uh, evolve, that got a little bit trickier. And, and now it's like, well, if it's part of a team qualifier paired with maybe a purse plus the championship, then you start getting like these draws. But, you know, that the top ends are so uh pine for like attention or attendance or whatever at this point there's just so many options now and the scene has changed it's like i don't know it's like a championship in name only and i didn't really want to be a championship in like in name only so to your point jeff in terms of getting more clout in my head i'm like well what should have kind of more clout than like a world championship like trail event but there are so many now big ticket like races and volume the same thing for you tom you know it's tough to get a right? A deep field for like ragged, like in the years that you're a championship, maybe you get like three or four like speedsters or whatever, but it's tough to get the depth because there's just so many, like, I don't know, like, do I need a, a championship title? If it's not in the contract, if it's not in a bonus or, and I know often they are, but when you're being pulled in so many different directions, I mean, what would it take to get the, the world championships to have more clout? But I think that's different. I think we're talking about two, two different things. I think we're talking about us national championships, you and I putting on mm -hmm. races, stuff like that. Not, not necessarily a selection race for the, the national team. Two different things. So if you have a selection race, you know, that, that definitely will bring in a bigger field or a deeper field um, than a national championship, right? Because they're yeah. not always the same. Um, but like I said in the beginning, I think now that all four of these races – are together at the same time i think it's a little it's a little easier to follow them where before they were separated and i think that you can you know we had we had athletes that overlapped you know vertical and up down so i think if you're still following that athlete if you're pulling you know if you're looking for the spectator portion of it they're still they're still watching that athlete twice you know i guess how do you how do you start to figure to to you know, bringing money for that is the live, live streams is, you know, are you getting paid per this? You know, I think, I think it's going to come with time. Now all four races are together. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think a first year race, you can, you can judge it going against a big ticket like Western States. I, I don't think that's, that's fair. I think, I think, but I think it, it will get there. And I think having it every other year will, you know, people will look forward to it. I mean, look at FIFA, right? There's 8,000 other soccer matches. There's so many, you don't know what's going on. But when FIFA happens, everybody watches, right? Nancy, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, and I think it's, a, um, it's definitely a good point. And until you go to the world championships, um, and, you know, Jeff talked about it very eloquently, <laughs> his experience, and t same with Tom, like – when you don't go, you don't know what you're missing, right? And when you're there, it's you know, it's such a huge event. There's so many cogs in this little wheel that are together, you know, transportation, meals, all these different things, and athletes from all these countries exchanging uniforms and and all these things happening and um and the opening ceremony. It's it's like a big deal. It's it, 
it's important. And I think um, the more promotion that's done surrounding it, and I think, and Tom took over the Instagram account and Twitter, I think with for USATF, we tried to get as much flavor in those posts and tweets and things that were happening from the event to encourage and support the fans and help the athletes as well get more recognition on U.S. soil. Um, so I think what our task is, is to continue to promote and show the excitement of this. We're, we're working on, um, Allie McLaughlin does video work for us, and I know she's on the call a little later, but she's putting together a recap video um, and does a professional job and it's going to be really cool. And, you know, there's already one out on Austria. Um, and I, I think the more the athletes talk to others about this, and I know Jeff and I had some really fun conversations um, in Thailand. We, we had never met. And, um, you know, that's again about building community. And I think we can all do our jobs to build that excitement and not say, Oh, it's not this, or it's not that let's say what it is and amplify that message and amplify the event. Um, and we'll get more followers, more people that are excited about it and, you know, raise that bar, um, you know, year after year. And in those off years, we're looking at doing kind of regional um, events, regional championships. And I say that in that, like a Pan American, South America, North America, um, competing on a stage. And so we're, we've been in talks for several years about what we can do in the off years to keep the momentum going. Um, so I think that's all really important stuff and we all have to work together to, to raise the bar and, and lift the profile. Yeah. <clears throat> well, cool. It seems like it's collectively, uh, happening, uh, on several fronts. Uh, and so maybe just as the gears get, uh, re-greased or smoothed out and people kind of know what to expect that it would be, um, that it'll keep uh, happening. And Allie, thanks for logging on the back end. And you must have been, uh, your ears were, were burning there. But as soon as Allie's uh, video on it um, really fires out into the mainstream, it's just gonna be everybody's, everybody's gonna want in. Everybody. Uh, everybody's <laughs> gonna want in, yeah. Um, well, right on. All right, I am going to shift gears. Um, Jeff, I'm gonna keep you on. Um, Tom and Nancy, uh, thanks for taking some of your time out. Tom, always thanks for taking your time out. It's always good to have you on, buddy. And uh, to communicate on the back end, uh, Nancy, we'll have to have you on for maybe another dedicated uh, session coming up to dig into some of this stuff as well. Would love to, and see you at yeah. TRE. I'm sure. I might, yeah, two. I'm going to take two of my girls to um, USATF uh, Youth Club Championships uh, in Texas, December uh, 10th, like the following weekend or whatever. So I'm going to uh, take them out there in place of TRE. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we'll catch up and, um, thanks for Absolutely. doing this and shining light on what we think is a ex extremely fun and enjoyable and competitive and worldwide event. So right Nancy, thanks. And, um, actually Tom, in the moment given to you, you gave me a couple feeder questions. Maybe I'll just keep you on because it seems like you had some color from that trip as well. And then Nancy, I'll catch up with you more, uh, on the next All round. Right. Sounds good. All right, cool. Um, so long as you're still good on time there, Tom. Very good. All right. Good to go. Mason. Good to see you, brother. Hello. Uh, and then um, I mentioned logging on, but you guys might not have been on yet. So uh, Max had a last minute thing uh, come up where he can't be on. Andy was still supposed to be on here, but he hasn't logged on. I just texted him as well. Um, we'll see if he makes it. I'll bring him through if he does. Uh, but let's at least start digging into the men's uh, section so we can be somewhat close to time to bring in the women here. Uh, a bit as well. <clears throat> um, and if we have to bring in Andy with the women's segment, um, 
maybe that'll be that'll be fun too. So that he and and Allie can talk about um, hangover a little bit. Um, all right, so um, moving into the uh, men's segment here. So um, we had I had introduced uh, Tom in the the prior segment. For those who don't know, uh, Tom was uh, one of the team managers, or as I mentioned, glorified water boy uh, out there for the championship. Um, owner of 603 uh, Racing and RD for one of the qualifying uh, events. Uh, we are hopefully going to have um, Andy Wacker join, and I'll uh, uh, announce him or give him the um, intro if he makes it on. Uh, Jeff Colt uh, here uh, ran the 80K uh, long race at Worlds. Uh, he's a runner for On. He's coming to us from Carbondale, Colorado. Uh, he can also be excused uh, on the Colorado uh, front as he has East Coast roots, uh, including uh, school at Middlebury College. Did you grow up East Coast as well, Jeff? Where are you from? New Hampshire, New Hampshire through and through. Yeah. Still one of those Colorado folks who still kind of longs to be back in New Hampshire. So the team is either Colorado or, or New Hampshire. And then, and then Mason. (laughs) That was a dominating. And we'll talk about Mason's location here in a second. He's got some explaining to do, but uh, it is good to see, I don't know, it seems to be Colorado, Montana, and that kind of new, New Hampshire uh, corridor really does kind of dominate, uh, uh, mountain running. Um, in any case, um, and his, uh, Jeff's, uh, 2016, uh, win at the big Brad ultras, uh, no doubt, uh, as what more has defined his trail career as opposed to podiums at Rock, Bandera, I am tough black Canyon and 11th this year at Western States. Uh, big Brad is no doubt highest on his mantle. Um, Mason, uh, good to see your brother. So Mason is coming to us from, uh, Syracuse, New York. Uh, despite his best efforts to hide that uh, current Beast Coast Association and continuing to list his location of residence and affiliations as Ladera Ranch, California. Dude, come on. <laughs> uh, I need to he's, <laughs> at 24, he's a young gun. Um, he has solid Beast Coast finishes with his times uh, here as a temporary uh, New York transplant uh, at the View, Breakneck Point, Jacora, Whiteface, and Loon. Um, it is good to have you guys on. And uh, I was hoping LaPuma could join us as well, also with the uh, New Hampshire uh, contingent. But he said his internet connection isn't strong enough at, at, at his house where he can log in. In my head, I'm just like, <laughs> what? Is, how does that even happen anymore? What are, you, what are you talking about? All right, but I guess that maybe feeds into why he's such a good trail runner. Um, I'll use that as an uh, excuse or an out. Um, and so we're going to talk just a little bit about, uh, here on, uh, worlds. Um, I could go through the, uh, results, but it's probably, um, more fun to just dig into, I guess, some of the stories that, uh, that came out of that trip. Um, so, and I'll just do some feeder questions, but really it's, let's just talk kind of informally on getting some of the nuggets of your trip, some of the some fun adventures, talking some of the trail. Um, I think that that would be, uh, fun. Uh, so let's just start out with, uh, so a first, uh, leader kind of concept, um, for Jeff. Uh, so as an eight pound, six ounce newborn baby, uh, Jesus, uh, Jeff Colt would have envisioned near future on the U S trail team while securing a win at the big Brad ultras. So not too long ago, I mean, you're coming at it from, you know, some, some humble oranges there, so to speak to, I don't know, is this kind of, you're like, yeah, like I can do this. I mean, you, you're kind of excelling in short order here. Um, you know, I way back when 
I was like a USATF junior Olympic uh, runner up in cross country as like a eight year old. Um, so I've been running on trails since I was a, a little guy and uh, I took a much needed hiatus through college to kind of reframe and um, the white mountains and the AMC hut system is what reintroduced me to, to trail running. And um, I didn't realize it was a competitive sport. I realized just like looked at maps and was like, how long can I go today before I have to get back to the hut to cook dinner? Um, and so I really enjoyed running on trails. Um, I think the competitive side is still very, very alive and burning bright inside me. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do is get out and compete because I always meet amazing people and have really positive, uh, positive takeaways and feel like I learn more about myself every time I do compete. But um, yeah, this year has been really great. I think, uh, I think COVID acted as another bit of a reset, taking a little break from the competitive trail scene. And I definitely did not envision that I was going to be a world champion in ultra marathon or like trail running in this, this sense, uh, kind of thought maybe skiing or, or like track and field when I was younger, but, um, yeah, amazing to be a part of that experience and, uh, feeling, you know, I think mentally, physically, and spiritually engaged with the sport and, and strong as ever. So looking forward to what's ahead. And so on that, that world uh, champion status, for those who didn't check out the, the results, so the men's contingent in the 80K uh, long race here uh, took the team win with uh, Adam Peterman taking the overall win uh, with Eric LaPuma and, and Jeff on the assists. Uh, and so I think, was it the scoring for each of the events where you basically took the cumulative time of the top three? Uh, is that how it fed into scoring or Kinda. not so much? For, for the mountain running, it was scored cross-country style, which I think makes sense. So um, it was the score of place of the top three and then there could be tiebreakers for the um trail events 40k and 80k it was scored by top three accumulative times and so there wasn't really a tiebreaker element in that which i think based on attrition in something like an 80k versus a, a 10k i think that does make sense in terms of that format so um yeah it was a cumulative time i think we were fortunate to have adam peterman on our team setting a really, really fast time, but um, that was by no means a gimme. And uh, going into the race, we were, we were not at all considered a favorite. So um, Tom Hooper and, and uh, Paul and um, you know, the team that was out there on the course were like trying to make it pretty real. Like you guys might be in contention for a podium. Like you need to catch this person. And uh, I don't think, that like competitive drive turned off for a second that whole day. And then how about for, for you, Mason, shifting gears a little bit on, so uh, Mason member of the um, kind of classic uh, mountain running uh, team, Ellie, uh, thanks for commenting, commenting in here as well. You should, you should probably be doing something for the scratch labs uh, right now, like trying to come up with a better product or repa replace their recovery drink, starting with the first ingredient of sugar. Um, but instead you're on here, um, listening to us. And so just commenting. So for, for Mason, a few months ago at Highlands, Mason, you said the goal was to make a world team in a few years. How did that feel to accomplish that goal so soon? I mean, that was, yeah, man, that must've been like, just kind of an incredible feel to, I mean, I guess, get that, that nod. Yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy. And like the whole process just kept on surprising me. And for the most part, 
I was kind of expecting this big like rush of like excitement, but all the way up until basically I stepped off the plane, it didn't really feel real. Um, and just to show up to it so much earlier was just really exciting. Um, and it was really nice being there so soon and getting to learn about it. And it has me ex really excited now for the future. And when it, it got real in a hurry, was that because you stepped off the plane and you're like, sweet Jesus, it's hot and humid? No, no, it got real in a hurry of, uh, in terms of excitement. Um, actually, when I stepped off the plane, I was kind of, kind of relieved um, in terms of temperature because I honestly thought it was going to be a lot worse. Um, I feel like heat and humidity on the East Coast is far more suffocating than what it was like in Thailand for me at least. Um, and so honestly, yes, it wasn't as nice as, you know, crisp fall air in the Northeast, but it wasn't as bad as I envisioned it. Yep. Um, and Tom, for you, when it got real in a hurry, was that, um, good. And I haven't had a chance to sufficiently stalk your Facebook photos, just some of them. Did yours get real when you got to kind of put your hand on an elephant? Because that would be that would be real for me. That's, That's when it me. got real. Yeah. No. Uh, it didn't become real until. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know when it became real. It, the the whole thing was just you're kind of in a daze the whole time. I think that the the U twenty uh, athlete that went down on Sunday that kind of made it more real and more panicky than ever. But yeah. The rest of it was the rest of it was kind of a daze. It was great. Mason, That's I got a what, question for you. How bad yeah. was it to wait three days? Yeah, that was really difficult. Um, but honestly, going out and watching the other teams race really, really made the wait not that bad. Of course, I would have liked to be able to be out more, to watch more. And so that's the one kind of sucky thing about being the last event is I couldn't go as hard with cheering as I would have liked. Um, but it's hard to be nervous when there's so much exciting things going on, like seeing the trail teams and vertical teams crush it. It just adds to the level of excitement and joy of being in the event so there's no real time to like sit around and get nervous i echoing that point um i think it was partially team usa and world mountain trail running champs doing a good job organizing everything and having things really laid out from our like accommodations to meals to knowing where we needed to be when but like in the prep to utmb ccc in 2019 like i was so stressed there was all this commotion going on like I didn't have that feeling of like, all right, things are like in a row here. And even going into Western States this summer, like the pomp and circumstance of like the, like, you know, kind of like uh, initial info meeting on like Thursday and being around the Palisades at Tahoe base area, like kind of stressed me out and caused anxiety. And that wasn't present in, uh, in Chiang Mai. And I do think a lot of that was the work that was done ahead of time by the, the organization and the USATF. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't feel that either, Mason. I was like really surprised not to be like, 
oh god i can't go see the mountain like the uphill race because like i need to be horizontal like it was just felt pretty mellow and so once you got into uh cranking i mean so if the vibe w was mellow i mean what's the I mean, the energy's, energy's got to be different. I mean, and Jeff, we talked about it a little bit during the segment with uh, Nancy and, and Tom there um, in terms of just wearing the, the, the Team USA kit. I mean, that really changes the energy, the dynamic, the emotion. Uh, but how about just the, like the crowd level? I mean, now you've been to some pretty high-profile races, whether it be in Europe and, uh, or here in the States. I mean, are you getting kind of the... I don't know, kind of what's that vibe? Is it is it kind of a course lined with uh, cheering fans like in Europe or was it I think just a different thing? Still very magical. Uh, I think the, the organizers really wanted to put on a good face for the Thai government. And like there were children kind of lining the course through like these little villages we went through. Um, the ADK got quite remote. So it was out there. Um, the only time I felt that same like kind of magic, a little bit at Michigan Bluff, but Peña Galosa Trails is a really special race in Spain. And you like run through these like walled castle cities at like two in the morning and you think it's going to be dead quiet. And there's just hundreds and hundreds of people on the streets and at the aid stations. And it's like, feels kind of like a, a cycling race in Europe. Um, that's the only time, other time I felt what I felt at world championships coming into this like little mountain village, running through these like beautiful terraced gardens, uh, like kind of farmers, like taking a step back and cheering for us and, and, uh, the whole village being out there. So not the, you know, fans everywhere. Um, there was a lot of just out there with the competition. Um, but still, still a really cool energy and, um, other than the theme song that will never leave my brain, like coming into the finish area felt so real. Um, what's the theme song? You know, what am I missing there? What, tell, so you, tell me I about can't. the theme song. Don't do it. Tom can send it to you after, but they played they the same song the same, on repeat for five days. Yeah. Yeah. The same song on repeat the entire time for, for four days. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Those fans may have been not following yeah. you though. The, the fans may have been following, uh, uh Zach the entire time. <laughs> I we had no idea how famous Zach is in Asia. It's 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 kind of incredible. <laughs> and he does have that pockets, but why why Asia? No, Ali, do you have this? I see you on the back end. Thanks, or I uh, gave you the shout out. Hang on a second. I'm going to pull you in, and then I'm going to kick you back out here in a second. Okay. <laughs> so I saw some good pictures, uh, good photos that, that you dropped with some of the, uh, uh, the, the residents there, the people from whatever towns or uh, villages or wherever you were there. But um, well, you got the same pull as Zach. I mean, dude, you're a rock star. What, what's, where's um, Zach? No, I'm, I'm far from Zach. I got a lot of attention because I had won the first race of the weekend. And so um, that, I think I was just famous for a weekend. <laughs> uh -huh. I don't know if they would, they'll remember me if I go back, but um, yeah, I think, I think Zach's pull just comes from, I know his international racing, even though it's not Asia, like, I don't know, I guess I'd probably they pay attention to UTMB and stuff like that. And like, and I feel like, you know, people will follow people on Instagram once they win and stuff, but he keeps people's attention. He's very, he's so interesting. Like even the times he was like not running too much, just like 
a real fun guy to follow along with and um, funny and adventurous and just uh, different. So I think he gets a lot of, uh, yeah, I see why people are interested. <laughs> and that's, I was about to say, I mean, there's definitely a, an appeal to Zach and especially in the past couple of years where he was in the injured bout where he has to keep, you know, whether it be for sponsors or just to make him feel like he's doing his job as a, as a professional athlete. Um, and we talked about this, I think one of the last uh, episodes that he was on with us here for Trails Collective Live in terms of just feeling like he wanted to stay worth uh, his contract as like a professional athlete. He had to share like those kind of personal moments or kind of keep it real, like, so to speak. And I guess the trail ultra world is awesome that you all are still so accessible. I mean, you're willing to take your time out of the night and whatever chat with me, like a whatever, nobody out here when like, I don't know, like I, I can't imagine that happens with other uh, athletes or professional athletes and other sports or whatever. And so hopefully that stays with trail. I know all of your times and, and demands are, are probably getting harder press. There's, there's more pull, um, but you're still so relatable. And like Zach is one of those that's really just like relatable. And I imagine that does get out there. It, it has this a very personal appeal and he's kind of like this you know, this hero where it doesn't always work, he has tried and failed or come up short or whatever. And like, you want to keep cheering for, for that guy or, or that athlete or whatever. And there's definitely that hook. Um, he also goes he, for glory. He like starts out races really hard. He lays it out That there. means he ends up in the photos at the front of races and in advertising, or he's going to end up on the podium. But Zach Miller, like he's got that prefontaine energy when it comes to the start of the race he does which is exciting right i mean uh <clears throat> i mean uh i don't know how many views now but it's uh the one one of the the videos from the north face uh san francisco from years ago on his finish uh that's just kind of like the epic finish the one year i um i have fun i think most times i talk with him i i reference that uh when we had the ventilator uh shortage which was um i won't get into those that uh, the politics there, but that the ventilator shortage at the beginning of COVID when everybody was getting hooked up to ventilators, um, I feel like we could have probably uh, just saved a lot of ventilators. We could have had just Zach moving around with his lung capacity and his breathing capacity. Um, <laughs> he probably could have, you know, just, just stood in, but you're right. I mean, he takes it out there and he lays it all out there and that's a very engaging thing. Um, but that's cool that it conveys and maybe it speaks to the uh, still small and interconnected world of, uh, the trail and ultra community where it's, uh, you know, never mind Kevin Bacon, like there's, we're all still so fairly closely connected, even though the scene's really blown up, but you'd get to a place like Thailand and they still know Zach or they'll, they'll know whoever. I think that that makes for a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. Um, so, uh, any, uh, I guess one thing, and then I'll uh, transition to the, uh, women's here. Um, there was, and, and Tom, thanks for planning a, a couple uh, questions, but there was one that um, uh, Tom uh, said that I could put out there for you, uh, Jeff. Uh, so uh, Jim Walmsley, Adam Peterman, or Jeff Colt for Ultra Runner of the Year? Oh, Tom, you're so kind. Uh, I think I've had my best season ever. So I'm voting for myself on that one. Uh, in in my world, I've... I've um, definitely exceeded my expectations um yeah jim versus adam that's tricky uh i think this year for ultra end of the year i think uh i think adam has a really really good case um 
Jim also won Madeira and Festival de Templier, which are, I'd say, top 20 global races. Um, still placed top American at UTMB. That's a really good argument as well. Um, but, oh, nice. Uh, but I think, uh, I think Adam, yeah, I think, uh, I think the sport might need him to be ultra runner of the year, you know, needs to mix it up a little bit. And, uh, speaking of momentum around world mountain and trail running championships, as we were talking about earlier, you know, Jim Walmsley posted that he wished he was there and, uh, and, and missed that experience. So I think really any level or caliber athlete that ends up at, uh, at that event is going to have a remarkable experience. And, um, just cause there were a couple notable names missing this year, there were a really, really, uh, deep field of notable names that were present as well. Um, so yeah, Tom, hopefully that kind of answers your question, but my vote's for me. <laughs> Which I think there's something to be said there before we transition. I mean, it's, I, I, I don't know. I think there's definitely a case to be made for, for Adam there. Um, but uh, with all that said, I don't know. It's kind of fun to, to take the individuals that maybe aren't already considered that like top tier or whatever. It's like the, I don't know. It's, um, I don't know. Uh, coming. Yeah. In any case, um, I can make the case for Jeff there too. And I, and I think it's a, uh, it's a fun concept. Um, but in any case, uh, Jeff, and, well, it could be for you, Mason, too, right? <laughs> to, uh, on the concept of, like, it's the individuals that you don't expect. It's, it's the ones that haven't necessarily notched these, like, top-tier, uh, like, finishes in the past, but who make up maybe, like, far exceed their speed ranking or whatever, lay down these, like, awesome experiences. Like, you know, how do you, how do you weigh that? It's not just the ones that have been notching top finishes at across the world forever like who's making like the biggest gains or who has these outstanding performances that are punching maybe well above their weight class and you know if, if you can kind of single those out or define those individuals i think that would be pretty awesome um jeff and mason uh thank you so much for uh being on with us uh congrats on the world team birth it uh it was awesome uh to see some of the, the photos that came out of it and thanks for uh taking some of your time here tonight tonight to, to weigh in on it yeah. All right. Catch you next round. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Um, Hooper, you want to stay on for the women? How's, how are you doing on time? Good. All right. Um, all right. Good so job. we are going to uh, bring in uh, U.S. women into the into the mix. Uh, thank you all for uh, for being on here. Um, so uh, for some introductions, uh, Michelle Merlis coming to us from Albany, New York. Uh, she's had a solid year with a win at breakneck uh, to secure the team nod, uh, getting in the mix at Whiteface, a win at Escarpment, and podium at Flagstaff Sky Peaks uh, when she was really focused on getting in a solid uh, training block ahead of Worlds. Uh, Corey Dow, and uh, Michelle was in the 40K uh, short uh, division, so to speak. Corey Dow in the Classic Mountain. Uh, she's coming to us from North Conway, New Hampshire, uh, also coming off a solid year. She secured her team nod with a solid run and uh, fourth at Whiteface, uh, ran well at Loon as well, and took another win at uh, Kismet. Uh, Allie, uh, thanks for being on again. Uh, she is a native of Manitou Springs, is coming to us from Colorado Springs, uh, runs for On, and is a media producer. Only a week or so earlier, winning two of five stages at the Golden Trail World Series in Portugal and ninth overall, a season which included wins at Broken Arrow and Mountain Marathon, sixth at OCC, Fourth at Pikes Peak Ascent and third at Flagstaff Sky Peaks 26K. Uh, and then uh, Leah, uh, good to see you again. Thanks for joining us again here. Uh, coming to us from Salt Lake City, 
uh, but can be excused for that secondary to also having Beast Coast roots growing up in PA. Uh, so in some ways, we still get to claim her. Uh, Leah is a beast, and for those who don't follow closely, uh, would be a wise place to put your money on who will finish strong over the back half of any ultra race. Uh, she's had a solid year uh, with a third at Bandera, second at Gorge Waterfalls and the Canyons, all ahead of a sixth place finish at Western States. And for somebody who is just a glutton for getting yourselves in really high powered uh, races, uh, doing Bandera, Gorge and Canyons, whew, that is a intense uh, mix uh, leading up to uh, Western, your beast. Um, so it's good to have y'all. Uh, so hopefully, I mean, we I could go through and talk about some of just the results uh, from Worlds, one of them being uh, Allie taking the overall uh, win in the uphill, uh, a bronze or third uh, in the uh, classic uh, up-down. Um, some awesome individual performances, but it's fun to also just try to dig into some of just maybe some of your fun experiences out there, uh, as well as, I don't know, just telling some spinning some tall tales uh, here, uh, so to speak. So um, hopefully this can be kind of an open conversational thing. Feel free to comment uh, here with each other, or if you uh, want to uh, bring up something that might be fun to talk about with uh, one of you, for sure do that. I'll provide a couple of kind of lead-in uh, questions here or concepts, which may drill into the, the heart of the trip. And thanks to, uh, actually, I, Tom, if you remember the questions you served up, um, let's bring you into that thread as well, because you were there experiencing it as well. So let's lead in with uh, Michelle and a question or concept there. No, you 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 can ask this. I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair. I think I read the 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 consensus. Um, Michelle, um, question, best dancer, you or your husband? Oh, by far, my husband. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the forty k men's champion. Uh, came up to my husband at the closing ceremonies and said, you world champion dancer. <laughs> that is how I will forever remember this trip. <laughs> yeah. So what's uh, all right, no backstory there? Or is that just completely like random or misplaced? I mean, has he got some serious moves out there like during the race or what's well, the story there? I think you'll have to ask everybody else if he has moves or not. Cause I've been seeing the same ones for about 10 years. <laughs> um, but for anyone who's met my husband, they know that he is a very lively personality. Um, and yes, he is like that most of the time. Um, he also put, you know, he puts on his own running races and he loves being on the microphone as his mom said at our wedding, he loves to be the center of attention, which came through very obviously throughout the whole week. Um, and yeah, he he can just, you know, have fun by himself or with a crowd of people. But I guess the backstory is that at the closing ceremonies, um, there was a DJ and the DJ was by herself. And then Josh started dancing and then the DJ was on a stage that was overrun with people and Allie was being thrown up in the air. And then they were yelling at people to get off of the stage. <laughs> Got out of control pretty quickly. Dude, where's the focus out here at these world championships? It's just one big party scene as opposed to, I, I can't even follow this, what's going on. Hey, we um, waited three long days for that party. <laughs> that's fair. All right, um, Corey. Um, also another one uh, fed by uh, Tom. So uh, thanks, Tom. Um, is there a number that is too many pairs of elephant pants? Oh, <laughs> um, I only bought one pair of elephant pants, 
but I did support every, I had, the other was shorts. The other was a pair of shorts. And <laughs> although I did actually have, I got some more outfit pants for my students, but um, yeah, I, I support all purchasing of elephant pants to bring it back to the US and have it become a trend from the US trail and mountain team. Um, so now is that similar to uh, hammer pants, um, elephant pants, just maybe like a different fabric and pattern there? Uh, you don't yes. know hammer pants. I'm dating myself here. <laughs> yeah, they're like big, puffy, flowy. Yeah, yeah. so what yeah. is that? What, what's the elephant pan all about? I think it's just a, it's for tourists, really. Yeah. <laughs> they got you. <laughs> but I'm okay with that. That's fair. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, let's go, uh, Allie. Which was actually more fun, the mountain races in Thailand or taking uh, uh, your reenactment of the movie Hangover uh, on site? <laughs> oh, man, that's a tough one. I think I was planning the Hangover night all through my races which like kind of helped me literally the morning of the classic up down it was the last race of the weekend and we were going to bangkok the next day and that's what i was looking up on the way to the race like and if i can that's what i do on a normal training day if i can like like focus on something else and then like just get my run in i don't get as nervous i don't get as stressed and so um yeah, that's how I'm starting to race and it really helps. So yeah, I was like texting Andy while he was racing. So when he got his phone, I was like, this is how we're painting your face tomorrow. <laughs> and um, yeah, so the backstory of uh, Bangkok is where the Hangover 2 um, scenes were filmed. Well, most of it was filmed. And so um, I was so excited to go visit the actual, a few actual spots that it was filmed. And we, we made it to the rooftop tower. We made it to Chinatown. We made it to several of the spots, and then, yeah, there were the four of us all dressed up. <laughs> That's outstanding, and it looked actually pretty fantastic. I mean, I, it's nice that they participated, but some of them oh, were, were pr pretty close. I'm so glad they like that made my night, and they didn't even like they didn't even put up a put up a fight. They were for it. <laughs> no doubt, Allie, it did, cool. Allie, did you do Andy's face? face? I it did. Was yes, I did. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it was just with some uh, old. Halloween paint at the hotel, but we made it work. <laughs> and that's great that that works. One of the, um, so we just had, so I'm an assistant coach here for Ithaca College women's cross country team. And uh, some of the, some of them, I think it, were just getting too stressed before uh, some of the races and just weren't, weren't performing. And so decided to see if we could switch gears uh, this past weekend before our regional race. And instead of talking uh, about like uh, strategy or whatever, which some of them has, have historically wanted to dig in. I tried to really switch gears and say, let's just kind of chuck that out the window and let's just talk about uh, just like in the hotel room, night before the race or whatever, all just sitting around um, sp uh, changing out the spikes or whatever. And instead, let's just talk about uh, what was maybe one of your most fun uh, cross country experiences uh, here the uh, past whatever. Or tell us, Tell us each about, let's talk about one of your, you know, most fun races like ever or whatever, and just trying to switch gears and, and take the focus off of being so serious. And, um, and I think that it worked in terms of somewhat of a, just switching into a positive energy. So that's cool that the kind of the hangover, the thoughts of that or other planning, uh, Allie kind of, uh, kind of served that mechanism, uh, for totally. you. So, yeah. Uh, Leah, I don't have something fun to, to jab at you with, so I'm going to rely on your teammates here to 
tell me something or tell us something that may pertain to Leah from that trip that would be fun to mention. That's pressure in the moment. They're all <laughs> yes, on the spot. Come on, give me something. I think Tom's got a good aid station story. We we do. We we almost choked her out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so she came in with a bandana on, an ice bandana that she couldn't get off. So she's you know is kind of panicking. Take it off, and we can't get it off. So we have to go up and over her head where we may have pulled on it just a tad hard. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she uh, she did. I survived. <laughs> she, she made it. She made it through the race, so it was all right. A little cervical stress fracture, um, but she you know, still came out on top for the team. Um, so, how about for uh, all of you? And I, I, I'm not sure. Is this for um, Michelle? I know it's your first time for uh, representing uh, the U.S. Right, uh, Corey, you as well. Um, Leah, is it for you as well? You haven't. It is. Yeah. 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 And then Allie, I know you've been all over the place. You've been prior uh, world championships a uh, couple times. Yeah, um, three times in 14, 17, and 18. Yeah, right on. Um, so uh, does that, um, I don't know, I, I imagine each time would be just as special, I guess, starting with you, uh, Allie. So kind of Jeff was talking about where, you guys have all been to some pretty high profile uh, races uh, at this point, but there's just something very unique and special about just kind of suiting up in the uh, Team USA kit. Totally. Um, I have a couple of things to say about that. Uh, one is, yeah, I think it gets more special each time. Well, I mean, the first time was like super cool. And, but each time has been really special for me because I've had besides I had 17 and 18 in a row but there's been big gaps in between um no mostly either injuries or just doing other things in life um like working and like I moved to Nashville and um yeah just switching gears and so like I never know if like when will be my last and so like and also to like come back like after 18 that was a long time and I didn't know if I'd ever make a US team again and um and then yeah things came together this year really really well and uh so yeah each time it's just like a blessing and then also with all the other high profile races like you mentioned um I got to go to OCC and at UTMB and then the Golden Trail Series you know those are both very world stage races and so like those were new to me and really exciting and I wasn't sure with the um, world champs being canceled for the last two years. Like, I just didn't know if the same energy, I think people have kind of started to do other things. And so I was kind of, I didn't know what to expect. And literally like, just as soon as I got to the hotel and you start seeing everyone's country, them like fully decked out, it just, I was like, oh yes, like nothing's changed. Like the feeling is absolutely the same. And it was that in Thailand just did an amazing job. I think, um, I had like, I like how everything was run. It was smooth. Um, courses were beautiful. Uh, I loved all the setups, like how we ate. Um, they always had like tons of tables. Uh, like the the last night was a really good dinner and they had tons of tables where awards were and it was outside. Um, we had food trucks during the rest of the time, which I know like some people were hesitant about, but um, you could go out if you wanted to, but like the food trucks I liked cause they were also local. Like it wasn't like they were just feeding us like in a dining room. Um, so I thought that was unique, but, uh, yeah, just in having been to worlds 
like I I didn't really put it together, but uh, Ellen pointed out, she's like, you're stacking up longevity. Cause I was talking about some other like Andrea Meyer from Austria. She's been around so long and doing so well. And then uh, Ellen reminded me of that. I was like, yeah, I guess the years are adding up, but it's fun to see some of the same people from eight years ago. And, and you remember them and they remember you and it's, it's really cool. And um, it's definitely a community that uh, is tight. And so with, with that gap in there, with uh, injuries, with uh, life kind of getting in the way, with COVID, everything set back, I mean, at some level, I don't know, that's got to make it all the more uh, meaningful because you're kind of over this uh, hump of hurdles or other just things that have come up and it's like, uh, kind yeah. of, I, I've made it. I'm kind of back on this stage or whatever. I do. I feel pretty confident right now. Um, just because like, I've learned so much in like my whole career, but just like staying healthy and like knowing how much is too much. And, um, and I was able to handle more than I ever have racing wise. Like I used to only race like a couple times a year and I definitely did a lot more this year. And, um, yeah, I'm learning how to balance that. And so I'm really looking forward to the next year and also like having met so many people this year in the community, um, at all the races I went to. And I loved how big our team was this year that we had the long trail and the short trail and the uphill. I will say like, I didn't get to like socialize with everyone as much as I thought I was going to. Um, I think the days went by fast and I don't want to, it, it wasn't chaotic, but it was like everyone had their own schedule and, and, uh, and yeah, it just seemed like there wasn't enough time to hang out with everyone. So that was like the only bummer. Um, but other than that, it was really cool to have a big team and uh, have us all there together rather than it used to be like the trail was separate from the yeah. mountain stuff. Um, I think I think it went well having everyone together and looking forward to next year. And for Lee and Corey and Michelle, I mean, just the I don't know for I imagine I shouldn't say I imagine I don't know it might be different for for you all, but for me growing up watching the Olympics and always thinking of the Team USA or whatever, I never put myself in those shoes. But for for you all, um, I don't know what you envision, uh, but in terms of like getting this stage and the meaning and the I don't know I necessarily put that into words, but just the um, the time where it gets real for, for you or, uh, the sentimentality of that moment, uh, in donning, uh, the team kit. Um, I know that's a pretty kind of, uh, powerful, but diffuse concept, but anything that you can kind of comment there where it got real for you or just the emotion or kind of like something you always envisioned or not. I think what was really cool for me um, and hit home was the opening ceremonies that we had, I think the day before all the events took place. And that's when all the countries walk in together to this like amphitheater space. Um, and that was just amazing because there were some countries that might've just had one representative. Um, and we had a whole unit there. Like we had tons of people and it was just phenomenal. Like seeing other countries walk by, like people you recognize, you give them a hug if you saw them at like a different race this year. So I think it really, demonstrated the intersectionality that is ultra and trail running right now. It's like, yeah, you compete against all these people. Um, and, but you can be friends and, you know, it crosses country borders. And that part was absolutely incredible for me and being able to be in the midst of the race and running around like people from like 10 to 15 to 20 different countries at any given point in time. Um, it's surreal because it really was the world stage, like each country, brought a few of their best people. And that was just an incredible environment to be surrounded by. I can say some, some about it, I guess. <laughs> um, 
uh, yeah, I agree with like having all the countries come together was really cool. Um, what uh, Mason was saying earlier, like how it didn't really feel real to him until he stepped off the plane. Um, mine was like almost there. Mine started feeling real when my school did this like big send off for me. And it was like, nice. like loud and a lot of drums and stuff. And so like that felt really real. And then like I left, you know, the, the couple of days later. Um, but then like in the race, thinking about the race, I was like, okay, this is the same kind of thing as I always do, like same sort of race. If anything, it was like easier than some of the races, like definitely an easier course than Whiteface, for example. Um, but it was cool having all the countries surrounding and like hearing all the cheering and hearing like the different, you know, all the different languages and there's people like yelling things and you like know that they're saying like go or like stuff like that, but you don't necessarily, like there's one country that was, it's like, die, die, die. <laughs> and it's like, you know, they're cheering for you. You know, there's being supportive, but like if you were like at a country, I mean, at a race, like here in the US, you'd probably think they were being kind of mean. But over there, you're like, I know that they're supporting and it was just kind of cool and something that you don't get to experience all the time. So that was fun. Yeah. And hopefully it wasn't just because you were an American and they were like, die American. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they were cheering for me. They were cheering for whatever country was around me that <laughs> that like spoke that language. But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It was cool. <laughs> Yeah, I well, first to Corey's comment about Whiteface, I think Whiteface is the hardest race that I've ever done. So <laughs> no, no course will ever be harder, no matter how long. Um, but it was a pretty unreal experience overall. Um, I think, I don't know when it really felt real to me, but I think similar to what other people have said, that feeling took a really long time to come. Like I thought maybe it would be at breakneck getting a spot, but then it definitely didn't feel real six months ago. Um, and then over the summer, it was like training for it. Maybe it'll feel real now. Um, I think like the first glimmer of it feeling real was getting the USA kit in the mail and was like, wow, like I'm actually going to wear a USA uniform. That is insane to me because I never thought I would make a US team. Um, and if I did make a US team, I knew it would be on a course like breakneck <laughs> so i think i feel like it was just so cool to make it there and then getting there and being surrounded by people in the sport that i've looked up to for years and realizing that they were just like incredible human beings was so exciting like just hanging out with these with hanging out with world champions like Joe Gray, like ribbing Josh at the opening meeting about not having a USA shirt ahead of time. I was like, this is unreal. Like, like Joe Gray is making fun of my husband. I can die <laughs> now. Um, so it was just, it was overall just such a cool and unique experience. And I think this got talked about a little bit with um, Tom and Nancy, but I hope that the highlights that people got to see from the event encourage more people to think about wanting to make a U.S. team, um, because I don't think that I would have ever really thought about it or given myself a chance. And I think there's a lot of people who could get a spot um, who maybe just haven't considered it before and maybe don't really know what it's like to 
be in that environment and to to experience everything. Um, so I hope that there's a lot of people who feel excited by this and and want to give it a shot for 2023 or be, beyond that. And so how about that poll? We talked about a bit about it with the um, with Jeff and, and Mason and Allie. You're on there for a part of it as well. And, and Tom, you're all. I mean. I shouldn't say you're all being pulled, but in some ways you're all being pulled. You have people like me now reaching out and be like, hey, come talk about this for, for this night or whatever. Um, but as you, you know, get better or more high profile or whatever, like, you know, Allie is a professional runner now. There's a lot of pull there. I mean, and you mentioned it in terms of historically, maybe you wouldn't have raced as much. And now you're just like crushing it with like back to back really intense efforts and knock on this this wood table here for you. But like, that's a lot to go hammer out the, the golden trail world series, not just like one race or two races, but like five races or whatever, and then double back with like worlds, like in that short a span, I'm no doubt there's a lot of stoke there and that's exciting, but man, like that's a lot that you're just crushing. Yeah. I actually only did three of the stages. I mean, slacker. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and that was for multiple reasons. Um, but part of it was, because I had worlds coming up. And also um, I I had only ran two qualifying races. So my points were lower going into the final. So I wasn't going to like, yeah, kill myself to run all five when I was already behind in points, um, which I'm so thankful for. I didn't have that pressure. It was like, cool, let's just go and like, I'll treat each one importantly, but I'm not going to go for the series standing. Um, yeah, it is a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people have their... Um, judgments on um as they do however like honestly it it the days i raced um it was like a wednesday friday and sunday in uh, madeira and those are my workout days and like i hate comparing races to workouts like i'm like no a race is a race don't ever <laughs> say oh i'm just doing it for a workout but i think like i completely takes took the other days off didn't even like jog just like hung out at the pool or um, one, I did go watch one of the races and just like hung out at the start finish line. But um, yeah, I've, I've learned of like, I really only run four days a week now, mostly. Um, I pretty much take Monday, Thursday, Saturdays off and just like hike with my dog. And I, um, I started that earlier this, like early this year. And I know I'm missing out on a lot of mileage, but I'm realizing I stay so much more healthy. And so to go race these races, all those in a row, it just wasn't that much different than because I just then my training program just maybe a little harder effort. But um, yeah, as long as I take those days completely off, I think uh, I think you can stay healthy. But it, it does catch up to you. Like I don't know, I could see the effects in a couple months or something. But um, I'm taking it pretty chill now. I don't like the cold anyway, so um, I might take off into Arizona in January just to um, start running more again. But um, yeah, I I think it's good to be aware, but um, I do not feel like I made any mistakes running all five. I'm, I had a blast and I don't regret yeah. it at all. Yeah, awesome. And I guess more the the angle there was you're being pulled in a lot of different directions. There's a lot of high profile races out there. There's a lot of where your sponsors uh, want you to be. There's just places that you want to be, such as the Mount Marathon or whatever, that it's like, this is just a kick ass like event and like culture or whatever. There's just a lot going on. And there's a lot of pull, let alone having to stack these now, because that's just kind of how it lines up on the calendar. 
You are so right. And like that takes discipline on our own ends, but you're right. It's like, it's hard to say no when they're all so high, high profile and exciting places. And, um, and I was already thinking about next year, but what's actually good is worlds and golden trail series should not interfere at all. Cause it's going to be earlier, but I think June is a really odd time for worlds and that kind of throws a wrench into stuff. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, a. I wish there were less and we all funneled into more like the same ones, um, just to make things more competitive, but, um, we'll just have to work or deal with the situation. <laughs> yeah. And you've asked this question a lot. So uh, do you, uh, do you think there's going to be a sponsor out there that's going to be like, um, Hey, we don't want you racing worlds. No, I don't, I don't think so. No. Um, I just don't, I, I would imagine that, well, I don't know how that goes. Right. Cause I'm not in those conversations and I don't have those contracts. I would assume, uh, I shouldn't assume anything cause I don't know how that goes, mm -hmm. but each of like these big sponsors are doing what they can to have their, uh, fairly increasingly high profile series. So, when you've just got so much on the table and when they then overlap with maybe something like Western or whatever, no doubt you can, you can pick and choose. Um, but if you're an on runner like Allie, it would seem like if I'm on, I'd be like, I just want you to, to be successful and kick ass at these really big high profile races, but it would be kind of nice to have you at an on series race or something to that effect. At some point there's gotta be some uh, like overlap. And, uh, but no, I don't think I was necessarily thinking of it necessarily that way and you're right i kind of keep bringing it up just because maybe it's a comment on how much i'm seeing i'm seeing the scene and the community continue to to grow um and just how the money is being allocated and i'm just imagine that it's just uh, a tough pull uh, for some of these athletes um yeah that's a good point too because i don't know how many brands actually incentivize going to the world trail championships like with podium positions and things like that um but yeah, it's interesting because there's so many competing races going on, like Golden Trail Series, Golden Ticket Races, Western States. And I think we're going to see that really come into play next June because I think you're, we're going to see a lot of like Broken Arrow, which normally brings a really competitive field that would actually attract a lot of the world mountain running athletes. We're going to see them have to make a decision. And same with people who would race Western States. Um, I think especially from the ADK team, it's going to be um, a little challenging to see who who ends up joining the ADK team. That's tough, right? I mean, just for you and I, Tom, when we're thinking about our own event calendars, just trying to get off of each other, which isn't always possible. If I'm those big, you know, ticket races, I don't know. I don't even know how that goes. Like it, it's hard to not conflict with one another, like on the calendar, let alone when you're creating these high profile series. I mean, that's just hard. And to Leah's point, Geez, and then when you're introducing something that uh, goes back to like a municipality or a nation or whatever to not step on like the toes of this other, you know, big ticket race. I mean, that's it's crazy. And how about Leah for you? Um, because you really threw yourself kind of full tilt into these kind of high powered um, races that this past year. I mean, once you uh, gun goes off, are you pretty much locked in with the same motivations or did it feel different to you over in, in Thailand with like, I don't know, a race is a race or like now I'm down in this Jersey and like this feels different. Yeah, that's interesting. Like um, this year, I, I raced a lot this year, but a lot early this year, I think through Western States, I was racing almost every month, like a 
50 mile to 100k distance. Um, but then I really promised to myself that I would take after Western States almost exclusively off. I think what made it tricky for the 80k team was we didn't pull positions or we didn't pull places for the 80k team until the end of September, um, which then gives weeks of training to be ready to run 80k which like if you're somebody like me who is recovering a lot after western states um just kind of doing base mileage the way the euros race 80k in the mountains is aggressive and that's a lot of aggressive training to put in like i kind of was training with the mindset of like i could make this team um because i think we were filling three spots on the 80k team and two were uh positions that people got at broken arrow so i think that part was tricky for me was like having to put five weeks of training in to get me up to the level that the Euros race 80K aggressively. And I think the difference between how we approach the World Mountain Running running Championships and how other countries do, like a lot of countries emphasize this, like they prioritize it, they emphasize it. Like France, for example, they had three women in like the top six or seven in my race. Um, and like, they want their athletes to show up like ready to go. And like, that's their A goal for the season. Whereas I would say more often than not, this is like an end of the season type of thing that athletes participate in. So it's not often the A race of the season. Um, and like in this case scenario, it's the end of a season, which is a little challenging, especially whenever you're running a longer distance because there's a whole season of fatigue in your legs. Um, but yeah, during the race, my husband was out there taking photos and documenting the whole thing. And I just remember seeing him on course and he said like, this is just your typical, this is just your normal 50 mile race, like do your thing. So that's how I was approaching it. And that's how it felt the whole time was to just do my thing and like, it will come. And that's exactly kind of how it played out, which was, which was nice. So it didn't feel, it didn't feel too like different from what I've been doing all year. And I think the fact that I raced a lot kind of put me in that mindset of like, okay, what's 50 mile effort. Let's tap into that and let's just keep it rolling. And so when you say uh, aggressive, are they just like going out and just racing it harder from the, the gun? Is that what you mean by they're racing it oh, more yeah. aggressively? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like even when you look on Strava at the first climb of the race, which the vertical race did, the marathon did, and the 80K did. And like, I don't think any of the 80K women, I think one 80K woman actually crack, cracked the top 10. I think Adam Peterman cracked the top 10 on Strava for like that segment, which is mind-blowing but i know not everybody <laughs> yeah and not everybody uploads onto strava but like ashley brassavan and kimber both were in like the top 10 for women on strava which is compared mm. to all the ladies in the vertical race who uploaded the races onto strava which is pretty impressive so like things That's went wild. out hot and you just have to decide at the moment in time like am i going with them am i not going with them what am i doing so i know for our race i mean we were sub seven minute pace for the first mile and a half um which like is pretty aggressive for, you know, a nine hour race to be starting off. Like, but you needed to get out this race. It like narrowed pretty quickly once you hit the trail. Um, so you kind of needed to get out. So it was, yeah. It was. So for you, especially where you're pretty uh, calculated and such a back half runner, hopefully that's fair to say. And when you're powerful in the upper miles, I mean, to, for you to adjust to, yeah, 80 K is a long way, but whatever, like, you're Leah Yingling, you're just getting warmed up uh, at that point. You kind of have to go out hot because I mean, you, yeah. you need the 80 to hundred K or hundred K to like a uh, hundred miles is where you're really getting fired up. Yeah, that's exactly true. Like I, that's what something I realized this race was if I wanted to be comp more competitive at this distance, like I actually, like I ran a really, really good race that I'm really proud of. Um, and that put me like just in the top 20 
And I think a goal going into this race was probably top 10, but it was amazing. Like it was such an amazing experience to show me like, Hey, if you want to be in the top 10, this is what you need to do. And that's race more aggressively and like stop relying on more carnage to happen. Because when you're talking about a, I mean, shorter race distance than I'm used to, like carnage doesn't happen as much. Um, so that's not necessarily like a great race tactic. Uh, so that part was just completely enlightening to me that, you know, the more uh, competitive the race gets up front. Like I think in my race, 10 minutes decided 10 positions from 10th place to 20th place. So, you know, you're make you're taking a little extra time in an aid station. Like you're, you know, making a couple mistakes out there and that's costing you easily 10 positions from 10th place to 20th. Um, so yeah, it just, it teaches you different race tactics. And I think like if I were to go back on a future world team, it, it would be fun to play with like just different ways of racing it. Mm-hmm. So you might have been actually 15th had uh, Hooper not botched the uh, the Yeah, had he not choked exchange. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, which is, which we is got fair. through it. <laughs> you did. All right, so maybe one or two others, and then I'll um, let you guys off the hook here. So, Michelle, um, how did it feel for you going? You referenced it just a little bit ago in, uh, in, one, of your, uh, in one of your comments on it would take a race like I think like breakneck for you to like make the team or whatever. Did you have some seed in the back of your head that was like, I don't know, like I'm not worthy or like I couldn't qualify in some other way. And, and did that really kind of eat at you or drive you like going into the uh, kind of the world cycle? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I think even after breakneck struggled with like the imposter syndrome of like, I don't, I don't belong in this team. Like the, the people on this team are way faster than me. They're way better than me. They're world champions. <laughs> um, and especially like the team that for, I mean, all of the teams, um, but the 40 K team, I mean, both Ashley and Kimber had been to have been on us teams before. Um, and just knowing like some of their times, I mean, from their high school to their collegiate careers, I think Ashley was like footlocker national champion when she was in high school. Like, and I didn't start running really until I was in graduate school. Um, so I, I feel like I'm behind in, in a lot of ways. Um, and, but I also just felt like making a US team would be about running in a race that suited my specialty or what I'm good at, which is really technical trails and breakneck is really technical. Um, so I think I had a lot of drive and a lot of focus going into that race for the spot. Um, I think as Ian knows, like I got down and I trained on the course every weekend for six weeks and like I poured my heart and soul into training for that race, um, to get the spot. And then I, I really poured my heart and soul into training for the race in Thailand. Um, and I felt like I was in the best shape of my life going into the race. Like I trained at altitude for five weeks. I did sauna training. Um, I, I just like, I had an amazing training block. It was so much fun, which I feel like was the best part about it. Like it was hard work, but I had so much fun training. <laughs> um, I almost didn't want training to end. Um, and I guess like the, the picture perfect ending to the story would be that I had a really great race, but I had a really awful race. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't, I don't feel like I lived up to, um, my own expectations at worlds. Um, but, uh, I feel like the whole experience definitely made me think about expanding, like thinking about what I'm capable of and 
kind of putting in that fire to want to improve, to want to get better. And also like giving me the confidence to believe that I could make a team again in the future um, and not narrowing it down to, it has to be a qualifying race that is of this distance and this technicality. Um, so I think that I'm walking away with just so much more than I had going into the entire experience, which is really exciting um, and kind of like what this sport is all about for me. Mm -hmm. Corey, how about you? Any similar uh, feelings there? I mean, I, I think I sense some of that from uh, Michelle along the way and whether it's, you know, she and I connecting or some of the comments she, she made or whatever. So I could sense some of that was there. Uh, for you, I guess I haven't connected with you enough to, to know. I mean, the, um, in terms of uh, earning that slot on the team and how you uh, felt there, any of those same kind of thoughts or, or not really? I mean, you were just like kind of all business and yeah, I mean, I'm just, I don't know. Um, what, what's the question? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. fair. That's kind of <laughs> yeah, there wasn't necessarily, right. It's more like a concept, right? Like your, your, uh, first go in terms of like earning your slot. It's like, um, in terms of being there with prior team members or, um, champions or whatever. I mean, did you feel, uh, like you were in your element and like surrounded by like, I can run with like anybody out here or it's like, Oh geez, like I'm kind of out of my element or like, I don't belong or like deserve mm -hmm. like, you know, any of those types of thoughts, just being your, your first round and, and qualifying for the team. Um, yeah, well, I definitely went into it like really nervous about, you know, the fact that like, I'm not like, there was like so many people on the team that are like pros and like, this is what they do, or it's like the bulk of what they do. And, uh, so I like felt like I didn't fit in, in that sense. Um, but then as soon as I got there, everybody was so nice. Like I couldn't get over how like welcoming everybody was and how like laid back people seemed. And I didn't feel like people like felt that they were better or worse than other people because they were sponsored or not sponsored or whatever it may be. So, um, so once I was there, I felt like, like, much better. Like I'm a pretty shy person when I first meet people. Um, and so I was really nervous going in, like, like <laughs> literally like I went with my parents and then I got to the hotel and I got my room and my roommate wasn't there yet. And so then I was like, uh, what do I do now? Like, <laughs> who do I, who do I like, like, what do I do? Like, I don't want to interrupt this table of people that all seem to know each other. And, <laughs> um, but then I, I did, I went over there and it wasn't too bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there was that aspect. Um, but as far as like trying to make, like I've been trying to make the team or I've been trying to like do what I can um, ever since my first mountain race because I came close in my first one. And so I was like, oh, this is like potentially attainable. And um, yeah, so I just, I'm gonna keep trying. <laughs> Uh, beyond this but yeah right on. I, like one of the biggest takeaways from my experience at worlds and what i keep telling people when they ask about it is just like how kind everybody was and welcoming and like that experience of it so that's kind of cool <laughs> anything else that would be fun to chat on any other stories that you're like uh, just maybe haven't come up uh for any of you that um, we could touch on or that you could share before we uh, lose you for the evening? 
If you go to Thailand, I would highly recommend getting a Thai massage. They're like $8 an hour and they're all over the place that I had two. Nancy had four. <laughs> like, <laughs> super fun. Um, yeah, Thailand, the people of Thailand are just so delightful and kind and welcoming as well. And um, uh, there's lots of coconuts for sale to drink out of. That was my one of my favorite things. <laughs> I didn't get the coconut ice cream until the last day after my race. Yes. And I was so upset that I didn't get it sooner. Right. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I just didn't know about it. I, or I didn't, I don't know. And, and so I got two of them. Uh, it was good. so, so good. <laughs> I would have gotten more, but we were leaving. <laughs> yeah. I think to Allie's point, I think it was uh, Caitlin Gerben, Patty O'Leary and Brittany Charbonneau all got Thai massages the day after the race. And they're all in the same room at the same time. Like, just like in a line. And I think they did the massages, not in unison necessarily, but it was very much like maybe five minutes separate. So like the person who was going to get the massage next knew when something painful was about to happen because they had about like a, a five minute warning because they heard the other person like moaning in pain. So That's really I think that'd funny. be very fun as like a post-race experience is to do that with a bunch of people who race the same race as you and just, you know, live the pain together. Yeah. That's really funny. Mine actually weren't that like weren't that deep. I'm, I had That's one funny. after, but mine was two days after. Maybe I wasn't sore enough. I mean, yeah. the short, I, 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 they, you got, they raced fifty miles, so I can't talk to that <laughs> soreness. It's a full body pain. Yes. <laughs> I will say, yeah, I don't know if you guys saw any wildlife out there, but on one of our uh, runs that we were doing a shakeout on, uh, we saw a snake that was about like the thickness of a male's like calf and six feet long. Um, so I didn't see any during the race, luckily, but yeah, that was definitely in the back of my mind the whole time was a six foot long, like one foot in diameter snake. I wanted to see more wildlife like that. <laughs> All I saw was like a slug the size of my fist and... Uh... <laughs> Like a that's pretty cool spotted cricket looking thing <laughs> in the wild. Of course, there was the elephants. Yeah. My uh, scariest wildlife encounter was actually at the airport in Chiang Mai before we left. We got lunch at a restaurant right before, like just before our gate, and a spider about the size of my hand was crawling across the restaurant floor. <laughs> so, <laughs> which I, like, I think I would have preferred to see that in the wild as opposed to the restaurant. <laughs> but also very thankful to not see any snakes on the course. <laughs> right on. Um, well, I really appreciate you guys taking some of your uh, time out uh, here tonight to, to share. Again, I know you're probably all pretty pulled in different directions and still recovering, but hopefully it was fun to process and, and share a bit. Uh, so I'm grateful for it. Tom, thanks for taking a big chunk out of your, uh, your night tonight. And I'd say given of your time to go over there uh, as a, uh, as a team manager, but no doubt that was a pretty amazing experience. So yeah, um, what so do you all wait to yeah, have him in Austria. <laughs> um, yeah, I, the whole staff, I had so much fun. Like I always have fun with Ellen and Nancy, but to have, um, Tom and Carol and Richard there, it was great. So thank you guys. <laughs> um, and anything are you guys pretty much wrapped for the season? Any of you have anything else still on deck or a, uh, race you're most excited about for next year? 
I have some friends trying to peer pressure me into doing quad dipsy next weekend. So oh, right. we'll, we'll see if I do that or not, but otherwise, yep. yeah, shutting it down. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm done for the year. Um, <laughs> definitely like every day, like kind of scheming next year, but my plans keep changing. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm yeah. done for the year too. I mean, I'll do a turkey trot for fun. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, also done for the year. I had a lot of time in my 40 plus hours of travel yesterday, today. I don't, I'm still not sure what day it is. Um, but <laughs> somehow in all that time, I didn't think about what I would do next year. So we'll, we'll see. Well, it'll be exciting to see where, uh, I don't know, the continued adventures ahead. I was going to say where you'll all go, but uh, I don't know, that didn't quite sound right. I'll just be excited to see uh, where your adventures take you and uh, be grateful for the opportunity to uh, check in or, or catch up again. Absolutely. Um, so congrats all. Uh, congrats on representing uh, the U.S. well. And thanks for, for sharing a bit about it. And we'll catch up with you next round. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you. Good Thank to see you, you girls. You. <laughs> nice seeing you guys. All right. See y'all. Bye. Bye. All right, so thanks for all those who were able to catch us uh, live tonight for uh, Trails Collective. Uh, I don't know what comes next weekend going into Thanksgiving. JFK is coming up on deck this week. Maybe we'll chat a bit on that, or maybe I'll just kind of take a breather uh, here as well. Um, but I really appreciate you all tuning in. I appreciate the support. I appreciate all the uh, individuals who are on with us uh, here tonight. And um, I'll go see if I can catch at least one or two of my the women in my life, uh, my wife and daughter before they, daughters before they uh, pass out here. Um, so I'm going to uh, hit it. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks so much for your support. And uh, maybe I will talk to you next week. All right. See you.